0: This is the movie Hall of Fame, Barbenheimer edition. And there he is across the table from me. He is Death Destroyer of Worlds. It's Adam Hall. Mm. And on the other side of the Jitsi call, he is Ken Uff. Nick Evangelista. <laughs> Special guest here for the Barbenheimer extravaganza summer box office blowout here yep. on the movie Hall of Fame. Talking about one of the biggest weekends certainly of my movie going lifetime.
1: It seriously was. I mean, I've never seen so many people at the theater. I've never seen so many pink skirts at the theater. Uh, I've never had so much trouble finding seats at the theater. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It was exciting. <laughs> it was nuts. I had two people buy seats on either side of me and be like, is there any chance we can convince you to switch? Cause they couldn't buy anything else. Wow.
0: And you were like, no, I picked this seat out three months ago. <laughs> This is exactly
1: where Nolan wants me to sit. <laughs> I said I wanted to be in the third row all the way to the right. That's right. But one yeah. seat away from uh-huh. the edge. <laughs> this is the seat that Nolan <laughs> intended <out> for me. <laughs> he said, He said, my movie, you got to watch it from its good side. <laughs> right.
0: These movies, I don't know if you heard, did very, very well at the box office this weekend. Incredibly well. They were projected to make Somewhere in the ballpark of 80 million and 40 million, respectively, a couple of weeks ago. They ended up at 160 and 80 million. Yeah, they doubled, right? They doubled their projections. I mean, tripled their projections if you go far enough out and you look at how the movies were tracking. Yeah. The Barbenheimer craze that we had been talking about for several months on this podcast went totally viral over the weekend. My brother went and saw this thing at a different movie theater than Adam and I saw it at and he got interviewed on the fucking news. <laughs> the local news went to the movie theater, asked people,
2: so are you here for Oppenheimer Barbie? And then you get the, the dramatic turn to camera. No, I'm here for both. Right. <laughs> <laughs> My brother's
0: there about five fucking tequila shots deep oh, getting God. ready for Oppenheimer. And he's like, yeah,
2: man, I like Killian Murphy and Peaky Blinders. Oh, oh no, I didn't watch the the, the, the now notorious Andre Gregorio clip. It's gone viral itself. It's gone viral, much
0: like the Barbenheimer craze. The highly anticipated release of Barbie and Oppenheimer has locals flocking to theaters. Viral posts on social media driving the interest sky high for both films. I'm here for Oppenheimer. A lot of people looking for both you see Barbie, the, you know both together. Yeah, I saw a stat that was like 6% of people went to see Oppenheimer because tickets for Barbie were sold out. So what started as kind of like a vindictive move on Warner Brothers' part to fuck over Nolan and his first release without them turned into this incredible marketing gimmick where, you know, I talked to my 16-year-old little cousin who she loves Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling and Barbies and would have no interest in seeing Oppenheimer other than this viral trend. And her and her little teeny bopper friends went and watched a three-hour fucking wow. nuclear holocaust drama, you know, so... um yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it really is crazy. Like movies this weekend, we entered this weird parallel universe where they were the most important thing in the culture again. It's cool. That was cool. It is cool.
1: Yeah, I I just want to tell you that my thesis statement for this podcast today that we're about to do is less Barbenheimer and a lot more the state of movies in the summer of 2023. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because we're going to talk about a few other movies as well, uh, but we're primarily, most of this conversation is going to be Barbenheimer, I have no doubt. Uh, but I do want to, if you guys will indulge me, I kind of want to just go over some of the trailers I saw. Oh just God. Your quick opinions. We're yeah. getting, we're getting down to everything. I want to talk about every movie that is coming out in the next five years. We can't do this to the listeners. Good God. We God! not The like, finally,
0: we're doing Barbenheimer, <laughs> but let's talk about the Gran Turismo trailer first. I just want your five second takes. Go it's ahead. No,
1: go, go
2: ahead. I'll, we'll indulge you. Um, new exorcist believer. Um. Wait a second. Okay. The new exercise is this the David Gordon Green one? I believe that's right. Yes. What? God damn it. Okay. Um, Pass. I have not seen the trailer for this one, so I can't. We
0: walked in a little late to Oppenheimer.
2: Yeah, I can't. I can't comment. Pretty sick, guys. Uh, Oh God! Damn it! No! Hell no! Pass! Pass hard on that one. The Meg Two, on the other hand, all in Meg Two. Of course, I'm in. I'm in on the Meg. Ben
0: Wheatley is doing it, and it's very weird. He doesn't even appear in the trailer. His name does not even come up once, and I
1: find that odd. Um, (laughs)
2: He's he's ashamed. I'm doing a movie about a giant shark.
0: In on the Meg Two. Yeah. In.
1: Yeah. Last Voyage of the Demeter. The Dracula horror. Ship film.
2: <laughs> a, not just a horror film, a horror ship film. <laughs> Very important.
1: I love a horror ship.
2: Yes, I do, too. <laughs> it's kind of like Alien,
1: right? Like in space, no one can sure. hear you scream. In the, in the middle of the ocean, no one can hear you scream. The Orca and
2: Jaws, a horror ship for sure.
0: They play the Smashing Pumpkins. The world is a
1: vampire. Halfway in, right? Yes. I like that. I'm into that. Okay, but you weren't okay with it when it was last Christmas, and it was that obvious. Uh, but yeah. when it's... Is the world- I, I am a last
0: Christmas defender. I don't want you tarnishing my good name here.
2: All right? <laughs> I guess I am the preeminent last Christmas hater. That's right. I guess I am. I, we got to have a hater on this pod for something. Um, and we'll have it all show today, I anticipate. <laughs> That's not really true. Um, <laughs> but um, no, yeah, uh, this movie looks like a great literal adaptation of that song. I am very excited for it. <laughs> I can't. The world can't. is indeed a vampire. <laughs> yes, it's a gigantic <laughs> vampire planet. Kind of the theme of Barbenheimer, too. <laughs> yes, sort of. You know? Yes. Hell
1: yeah. <laughs> what else you got? I don't think we need to, I don't think we need to say anything about Killers of the Flower Moon. It's just in, right? I mean. <laughs> it could be, yes. It's just going to be the best shit ever. Could yeah. not be more. Just yeah. the best movie of all time. Could not yes, be more.
2: Yes, it's, al- it's already the best movie ever made. Yep. Yeah.
1: Uh, Okay, here's the one that I'm really interested in right now. The Holdovers, Paul Giamatti. Looks like shit.
0: Um... (laughs) Leave, <laughs> fucking he get out! Get
2: the hell out! <laughs> Looks like
0: Alexander Payne reuniting with Giamatti. Are you kidding me?
2: <laughs> Looks like
0: as a grumpy fucking professor. <laughs>
2: Looks like garbage. we told Adam to bring his hottest tape. That's and true. He yeah. brought them. and I, th- I thought this looked like a hot mess. <laughs> Could
0: not
1: be
2: more in. Are you nuts? <laughs> well, of course you're in. Come on, you don't count,
1: Nika. This movie was filmed on a twenty dollar camcorder <laughs> found in a TJ Maxx twenty years ago. If you looked at this film, <laughs> you. It was fished
2: out of a toilet. It is is a leftover movie by Alexander Payne that he forgot about. I love
0: this idea that TJ Maxx sells camcorders. Like, I can't even picture how awful the quality is on a TJ Maxx clearance rack
1: camcorder. I saw this trailer in IMAX, and every, like, distortion of the footage, like, the graininess of the footage, like, took up, like, an inch of the
2: screen. Totally. Here's my opinion on Alexander Payne. Yeah. Is that he has hit his Cameron Crowe phase <laughs> and he's done. You're bringing the heat, my guy. I am. He's a he's, he's, he's a hack fraud now. What's that
0: fucking movie he made with Matt Damon? Downsizing. Downsizing. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Where they're like little people. Yeah. <laughs> a remake of Tiptoes. Yeah.
1: Much more ambitious. I'm just excited to see Giamatti again. And I'm excited to see a movie that is small. Sure. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. This movie just screams
0: small. Despite Alexander Payne's uh, prickly behavior, and I use that euphemistically, I remain a defender of his work, at least, behind the camera. Prickly behavior? Yeah, it's, we won't get into it. Mm. I, I'm in, yes. Next.
2: No, that's it. Okay. That was, that's <laughs> all we <laughs> got.
0: Blue Beetle? No thoughts on the Blue Beetle? Oh, so
2: in. Come on. <laughs> okay. It's going to be the best superhero movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> this is
1: uh, probably a first where I genuinely had never heard of the, the Euro before. <laughs> yeah it's crazy. And, like i'm a nerd usually i know at least a little bit like when i was a kid i had those books that was every single marvel superhero mm. and it had like their stats and shit right and i would just i would read through it so like i at least had heard of most of these blue beetle is they really pulled that out of nowhere yeah desperate
0: uh okay we've teased the audience enough here let's fucking get into it we're, it was starting with oppenheimer or barbie
1: uh asteroid city right? what about asteroid city <laughs> no,
2: yeah. uh,
1: guardians well, uh we're not done yet <laughs> Mission Impossible? I mean, we had other things on the docket here.
0: Yeah. I liked a Wes Anderson movie. That's the headline here. Nico liked a Wes Anderson movie. I haven't liked one in over a decade. I finally liked this one. Oh, we're going
2: to have a recurring motif, aren't we? Yes. That'll be fun.
0: I think this movie is good. Is it my favorite movie of the year? Certainly not. Far from it. Uh, But this is the first time that his style kind of clicked for me. And I know
1: Nick's going to be a fucking hater. So uh, the floor is yours, sir. I hated the fuck out of it, And like he it, it pisses me off that he keeps uh wasting the time of these great actors and preventing them from doing better work. Including several of the stars of Barbie and Oppenheimer. That's true. Right. Yeah. Right. Just pulls them in and wastes their fucking time. And it is just despicable. That being it's said. <laughs> No, but, but but I also have this weird dichotomy going on here where it's like I don't like Wes Anderson. I don't like his movies, but like at the same time, I'm glad he's making them like I'm glad somebody is doing the work that he's doing.
2: Yeah, Absolutely. I've always In felt a that weird way sort of way, even when I haven't responded to, you know, a, fi- a filmmaker, one we're going to talk about. I'm always happy he's making movies um, and I kind of feel the same way about Wes Anderson That being said, I have absolutely nothing, 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 nothing to say about Asteroid City. It's my least favorite Wes Anderson film. Wow! Boom. Whoa! Yep. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Yep. Worse than French Dispatch? It made me appreciate French Dispatch tremendously more. Worse than Isle of Dogs? Easily. Easily, easily, easily. Tarjeeling Limited? Worse than that one? Tarjeeling Limited is a top four for me. I love Tarjeeling Limited.
1: Oh, this is so
0: fucking weird.
2: (laughs) Well, I'm glad we're talking about it. Yeah, the only... (laughs) Why do I like this? I don't know. I was wondering why you liked it. I was like, this is so, so, so much what... Well, I know why
1: he likes it, because there's two frames of Scarlett Johansson naked that you can see reflected...
2: In a mirror that is foggy. They have also debated whether or not that's actually her, by the way. So it may not be her. Oh, well then two stars, I say. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Out of ten. <laughs> um, is it just because it's like a hangout movie in a western town and you love a good hangout western town movie? Um, bingo. That's one. Yeah. Yes.
1: I also think the motif of it being like a play in the background is something that definitely appeals to Nico. Yes.
0: So this is what I want to talk about, right? I think this is Wes Anderson's adaptation. I think this is his movie about the art of making movies, or I guess more broadly, the art of
1: storytelling. Right, exactly.
0: The structure of this is, Brian Cranston is a Rod Serling-esque TV narrator, Ugh. narrating a show about the making of a play, and the play is the Western, you know, asteroid city we saw in the trailers for of the movie, right? And... Jason Schwartzman and Scarlett Johansson and Tom Hanks are all actors in Asteroid City, the play. Yeah. So as you're watching this story unfold, you have to think that this is a performed piece. And a performed piece that the actors don't actually understand, right? And so sort of the narrative thrust of the movie is Jason Schwartzman is struggling to find out how to play this character. I don't know. As a guy that has not responded in any sort of tangible emotional way to any Wes Anderson movie in about 15 years, a movie about how hard it is to sink your teeth emotionally into a Wes Anderson movie worked for me. Yeah. You know, and it's about these two characters, Schwartzman and Johansson, who like overtly have the conversation on screen of how to act, how to tap into emotion. I think Johansson at one point says both of us, Are such damaged people we have a hard time being emotionally vulnerable on screen, and I'm like, bingo! That is the Wes Anderson experience. Oh, I see. You know what I mean? I liked all that shit about acting method. I liked all that shit, like Willem Dafoe's character is this stand-in for a you know actor studio, a New York actor studio instructor, right? And Lee Strasberg and all of these other guys, right? And uh, what's the uh, uh, the Meisner method, right? Uh, At one point, all of the actors. In the play, recite the same line over and over again, emulating the Meisner method. I love how icy it is in the Asteroid City sections, and then we pan out to the play, and spoiler alert for the movie, but when Margot Robbie shows up and Schwartzman finally finds some emotional grounding in his performance, the movie opens up, and it's like, oh, shit, this is what it's all about. (laughs) Um, It is a movie about how Wes Anderson makes movies, and as a guy that struggles often with his very taxing, artificial style, it, I don't know, it fucking worked. It's almost like he had been
2: hearing the criticisms that people levied at him for 15 years, and it was like, oh, well, actually, I know. I guess the only thing I, I cared about, weirdly, it's the only time Edward Norn has ever worked for me in a Wes Anderson film. The, the, only, time. the only time? I don't like him ever in Wes Anderson movies. This is the only time where he kind of worked as just like this... I I, I don't know, like in in a sense, almost like this mythological figure to the characters off in the distance. Right. He just played.
0: Well, it's like, like, like almost like these actors have found the Dead Sea
2: Scrolls. And it's like,
1: what do these mean?
2: And they're trying to live up to him and make sure they don't let him down. And that was fine. Uh, And he also doesn't take up a lot of screen time. So that was helpful.
1: I just find the like name dropping of actors scene to scene is so fucking distracting. And it feels like. We're not spending time developing the characters. <laughs> oh that wait, we're going to talk about
2: Oppenheimer. It doesn't change much there.
1: <laughs> talk about name dropping actors. No, 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 no.
2: But 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 we're
1: we're sacrificing <laughs> like actually developing these characters just so we can like figure out how do we. Fit Tom Hanks into the. movie. I fucking like Tom movie. Hanks in the like, movie I just like fine. Yeah, he's good. like him a lot. Yeah, he, good, he, like him a lot. No, no, I don't
2: get your point because he's good. He's good in the movie. <laughs> he's good in the movie. He, there's there's a few characters that are uh, that are well utilized. No no doubt. And um, for the record, I don't hate the movie as negative as I sound. But um, you're right, Nick, in that like there's just a bunch of like useless people and dealing with thankless roles. Steve that, Carell, I thought was as, one of the more obvious ones. As, yeah, exactly. Where they get
0: him just to play a concierge and he has like two lines of dialogue. Yeah. I thought Schwartzman and Johansson though were were actually solid as the two leads, um, and yeah, Hanks, the Schwartzman stuff with his dead wife, and uh, you know that's Tom Hanks' daughter in the movie. Mm. You know, it's obviously underplayed in the way that a lot of like Wes's emotional moments are, and it can feel icy and stiff, and that has been one of my main complaints with his movies. But again it is explained in the conceit of the film, right? These are two characters that are struggling to figure out how to play these moments. Like why would a guy wait two weeks to tell his daughter that their mother died? Right. (laughs) And I I also just like their banter. Like I love the phone call at the beginning where Schwartzman's like, you never liked me. And Hanks is like, no, I never thought you lived up to the potential of my daughter. And he's like, yeah, we're saying the same thing here. (laughs) Like, I don't know. There was some pretty good repartee. And um, yeah, Hanks, I think is I I don't know if it was written for Bill Murray, but that is clearly the role that Bill Murray has played in other Wes Anderson movies before, and he works. He works as kind of like the gruff old guy. I like gruff Hanks, you know? I don't know. I dug it. I like the UFO stuff. I like when the alien lands. I'm like, that is actually exactly how, although it's obviously embedded within the Wes Anderson twee. Mm Mm-hmm that is how people would respond if a UFO appeared like they would just be stunned, right? Everybody just wouldn't know what to say. And I really liked that moment. It was like funny and also like
2: a little unnerving and I'm not sure. That's how people would actually respond. If a UFO did that,
0: it's got some, <laughs> it's got some fucking vibe, man. I don't know. I like, I, I, I like West Wes in Western mode. I like West Anderson.
2: <laughs> yeah. Five out of 10. All right. <laughs>
0: That's stunning. That's just, I don't know how this fucking happens. Five I don't ten. understand how this fucking happens. Yeah, it's just <laughs> not good. <laughs> I've, just I've been railing good. against the, uh, the, the length of our friendship. I've been Braille, and complaining this. about how
2: awful he is. And then the one time I like his movie, you're like, uh, I was like, that is definitively with a bullet, the worst That's Wes Anderson so film I've seen. Weird. No, man, just That's not so weird. And none of the things that make him special worked in this yeah.
0: Okay, can we move on to the main event now, or do we have
2: more movies to do? How's Mission Impossible oh, and Guardians Jesus. of the Galaxy, Nick? You're the one who originally said you wanted to talk about these other movies, no, too. No, but and I feel like know, they like... should be
0: afterthoughts. I don't
2: feel like we should be
0: prolonging the, the main oh, event. Oh, just
1: throw timestamps in there. I like this bit. This is funny. Let's keep let's keep going with it. <laughs> let's... Yeah, I have, like, two <laughs> thoughts on Mission Impossible, so this be... <laughs> <laughs> Okay.
0: Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1 was the third movie in your movie marathon, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, you have not seen it yet, correct? No. I thought it was good. I think the man delivers. I think Tom Cruise is a pretty good fucking action star. And I think these movies are about as solid as they come. That's my opinion on that.
1: In terms of action, sure, right? Yeah. I mean, which is what they're selling. Like, I'm not trying to be like, oh, but the plot wasn't very well developed because it doesn't matter. There's a line that Simon Pegg says at one point to Haley Atwell's
2: character
0: when he's briefing her on a mission she's about to go on and she's like i think i'm gonna need more details and benji says like "Ah, don't worry about the details they tend to overcomplicate things or whatever i'm they tend to get in the way they tend to get in the way that's exactly what he says don't like don't think it just feel it yeah (laughs) exactly exactly the (laughs) same as the experience (laughs) i'm like oh yeah that's kind of the mission statement of these movies right the details don't really matter that much it's all in service of the set pieces yeah exactly (laughs)
1: Yeah, I thought it was a fun, fun, good action movie. Um we all know it was gonna be build up to that big motorcycle jump, uh, because that's what was promised if you watch movie stuff at all, if you keep up with that kind of news. But if you want to talk about a movie that has immediately dated itself, you know when we watch a movie from the nineties, the two thousands, and they talk about the internet and they're like, Oh, I can hack the mainframe, and it's like, oh god. I mean, the main villain of this new part one part two series is a rogue ai system adam named the entity and i can just tell you it has i mean ai is moving so fast this thing has dated itself already jesus it it, you're watching it and you're like this is not how this works like it is just (laughs) so that's my only thing where i'm like this movie's not gonna stand the test of time the same way as like rogue nation or some of the
2: other ones uh and that's okay there's a, there can be a funness to dated movies. I like war games just enough. It's fine. Completely disagree with you, Nick.
0: Of course. I, this is actually like the best villain of the series for me. Well, I guess Philip Seymour Hoffman in 3 is the best villain in the series. Yeah, yeah. how dare you. Uh, but no, this is like a clear second. No, I fucking love The Entity! The entity rules.
1: The entity represents itself on screens, Adam, as like a bunch of blue lines that sort of like form into like the shape of an eye. Almost, it's like it's like the blue eye of Sauron that's hacking your computers. Have you seen Eagle Eye with Shia LaBeouf? Oh my God, Eagle Eye! <laughs> <laughs> right, that's essentially what this movie is, but like with Tom. If Cruise. you look at the
0: trailer of this movie, when the logo comes up, that ring is formed around the the text of the title. And obviously, it was not obvious in the trailer that this was an AI movie, but now you look at it and it's like, oh, that that was a cool Easter egg. Uh, No, I dig the entity. I like that he appears kind of in human form in the form of a henchman. I like that he's able to predict the future, you know, because he knows so much about all of the characters that he's monitoring. And it also, like, forces Ethan to make difficult decisions because the entity has gamed out all of his moves. I love that paranoia shit. I mean, it, it is like the closest thing to a paranoia thriller the Mission Impossible series has gotten since the original. And that's what I dug at least about the first hour of this movie.
1: A lot of people are saying the first hour kind of drags because it's a lot of throat clearing and not much action. I had no problem with any of that. I thought the movie was actually pretty well paced throughout.
0: Yeah. No, I just, I like the entity.
1: Well, and, and, and to be clear, like Mission Impossible has always been super cheesy. It's got the masks, and they still use the masks at them, no doubt. That's
2: that's Mission Impossible. That's all right.
1: Right. So maybe I'll grow to like it, but like I always, I've never enjoyed in a movie when they're like, I know exactly what you're going to do because I've gamed this out 100 million times in 0.2 seconds, and therefore. I have outsmarted you in every possible scenario. It's just dumb. It's fucking stupid.
2: It's also not the type of movie where you can feel genuine fear over that idea. It's a fucking Mission Impossible movie. I know Ethan's going to get out of this. It's like, stop stop bullshitting me here.
0: Um, Yeah, I will say, though, I won't spoil the movie for anyone, but there is a moment that in, that increases the stakes of the series, I would say. Yeah. Does
2: Benji get shot in the face? uh, Benji does not get shot in the face. Does someone get shot in the face? Uh, No, someone does not get shot in the face. Okay.
0: (laughs) But, uh, you know, it, it is the first time in a while where I'm like, oh, actually, there are some legitimate, yeah, there's legitimate consequence to what these characters do. This is also the first time, probably in the history of the series, where I felt it in conversation with the Fast franchise. And I wonder if you felt similarly about this, but there are lines throughout particularly. I think there's that scene in the airport with Benji where he says the most important thing in my life is my friends. Salute me familiar.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: So they're definitely trying to play up the pathos there. And I mean, there is actually an action scene. I know neither of you saw fast X, which is an abomination of a film, uh, but there's a scene that takes place on the Spanish steps in Rome much like in Mission Impossible, one involves uh, Haley Atwell and Tom Cruise on a car, handcuffed to each other. The other one involves like a giant bomb rolling down the steps like a bowling ball. And one is just a fucking mess and the
1: other one rips. Okay, I loved the the entire handcuffed together driving yeah. was the best, actually. Yeah. So yeah, this this girl keeps trying to get away from Tom Cruise and he handcuffs himself to her. And then they have to escape. So he gets in the car, but he has the wrong arm handcuffed to her and he has to drive.
0: It's such a brilliant idea. Like his right hand or his his left hand is handcuffed to her right hand. So in order for her to drive, he would have to reach across her body. So she has to be in the driver's seat, right? Or else they would be facing in
1: the wrong direction. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I loved that whole thing. That was great. So no, I think it's a good movie, but I do wish the cliff jump wasn't in the fucking trailer though.
2: It's the last one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean.
0: Well, there's one more thing after that involving a train. That kind of echoes the original.
2: That's impossible. Yeah, well, that's in the trailer as well.
0: It is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just fucking trailer culture. It's like they
1: put everything in there. You know, there was a whole featurette. You saw that cliff jump from every angle in the YouTube feature. I I kind of would have liked if I had no idea that cliff jump was coming. And then the discussions
2: after the movie are like, did he really do that? Like, that's what I want, right? That's the excitement. So they put a little too much fire and explosion in the Oppenheimer trailer too. They really, they really (laughs) dropped the ball on that one. No, they dropped the bomb on that one. That's what they did.
1: Uh, (laughs) I love how how Adam keeps teasing Oppenheimer bits (laughs) throughout. He just keeps sprinkling them for the listeners. We are
0: giving the listeners the biggest pair of blue balls <laughs> of all <time. laughs> an
2: atomic size blue ball. Exactly. It's gonna blow. <laughs> uh all right, so on to Guardians 3. Uh I'd love to talk Guardians 3. Go ahead, Nick.
0: Guardians 3, what do you got?
2: What by the oh, where do
0: you where do you rank uh Dead Reckoning in the Mission Impossible franchise?
1: Ooh uh, right
0: below Rogue
1: Nation? Oh, I think that's about right. Okay. Yeah.
0: Right below Rogue, probably, certainly above two and three. Barely? I, I'd probably go six, one, four, either
1: five or, or this one. Yeah, it. I don't know. They're all good, man.
2: i go one, four, six.
1: I like three more than I like one, personally, but like... You like three more than one? That's because Philip... I love Philip. Uh, yeah, he's great in it. I love him, dude. And also, that movie is so stylistically different. It stands out from all yeah, of them. Yeah, it
0: looks like a fucking... ABC pilot looks like
1: fucking JJ Abrams
0: doing Lost again, except
1: worse. But I will say, when Phillips, it it benefits the Philip Seymour Hoffman role the way that movie was edited because it makes it so much grittier and real, and it makes the stakes of what he's doing feel real. uh I think it sucks as a Mission Impossible movie to a degree, but the action fucking kind of rips as a Philip Seymour Hoffman performance. He carries
0: that movie up a fucking volcano on his back. Yeah,
1: like he is awesome in it. But anyways, um. Guardians, yes. I feel this weirdest like dichotomy with this movie too, because on the one hand, like objectively, this movie is horrible, <laughs> right? That's, I don't. I don't that's that. that's not what I've heard. <laughs> objectively, this movie was just like a cinematic nightmare. Oh god! Right, I I thought it was just ridiculous, but emotionally, the movie was like the perfect capstone to the Guardians franchise. Okay. Every single of the main like characters of the franchise had their perfect like emotional arc, and it wrapped up so nicely. It was like really effective in that way. But as a standalone film, it was just utter dog shit. That's my opinion.
0: Um, <laughs> well, some of those arcs you have to have seen for Avengers movies to even understand. Exactly. So that's part that's of the it, problem. Right? Or even like <laughs> the first ten minutes of Thor: Love and Thunder, Ugh. and apparently the Guardians <laughs> Christmas special. I actually watched the Guardians Christmas special. I. I, I don't know if there was anything in there that was necessary viewing, to be honest, but I was told that there was something in there. I, I
2: couldn't pick it up. You didn't detect, was is, the, is there the dog in that? Oh, I guess that
0: is the first appearance of the dog.
2: That's what it is. Oh, yeah, okay. cause I'd never seen that dog before.
0: Okay. Okay. All right, that a, makes sense. Yes,
2: that was the first appearance of the dog. Did they get the dog for Christmas or something? No, the dog's just there. So what difference does it make? <laughs> yeah, the dog's just there. Yeah, the dog's just there. <laughs> oh, that's stupid. Yeah.
0: Guardian's Christmas special, not good, by the way.
2: Okay, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Quite bad.
0: Um, it is crazy to me how Batista has emerged as by far and away the best part of these movies. Without question. He is so far and away the best performance. He is carrying the comedic aspects of it, also the emotional aspects of it. His chemistry with Mantis, played by uh, Palm. what is her name, Pom uh, Clementif? Clementif? Clementief Clementief yeah she's great at Mission Impossible by the way as well she's really good as one of the entity's henchmen having a great summer that woman
1: I didn't even catch that with her
0: yeah that's that's Mantis yeah oh my god they have tremendous chemistry in Guardians 3 and I would say that's in stark opposition to whatever the hell Chris Pratt is doing here
1: Chris Pratt is the worst part of this film
0: yeah I I think we've really reached the limits of his abilities to carry this thing.
2: I think we should lock Chris Pratt in the Disney vault.
0: Just never let him out. <laughs> never nah, let at him. least for like twenty five years <laughs>
2: for a very substantial price. But then he goes back in.
1: <laughs> no, but you know what though? If they do reboot the Indiana Jones franchise, like I was
2: talking about, guess who's playing young Indy or whatever? Now, at that point, I have thought Didn't about. Didn't we go
0: through this? Didn't they like almost cast him already?
2: They were all. They, I thought they, they almost casted him. They almost. I think they almost casted Chris Pine at one point too. Chris Pratt is the natural choice
1: in terms of what Disney would pick. Do you know what I mean? He's just, I don't know. He doesn't quite have that thing. He's not that funny. No. That's the thing about him.
0: And when he got cast in Guardians, it's like, oh, the chubby guy from Parks and Rec. He's going to bring the ha-has to the MCU. And it's like. Meanwhile, he's the least funny character. Actually,
2: Batista and Bradley Cooper are just doing fucking laps around him in these movies. I'd like to see Bradley Cooper as Indiana Jones. That would. Oh, that's not bad. That's a better choice. That's
0: inspired.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Bradley Cooper and, and Rocket Raccoon, though, this movie is uh, billed as like the story of Rocket Raccoon. Meanwhile, he does nothing in this movie. He is barely in the movie, except for as a uh, like baby. Well, I hear the flashbacks are insane. Yeah, certainly. So and jarring and too many. Half the movie is flashbacks. And, and, yeah. and you know what? My take, Nico's probably going to disagree with me. He probably loved the flashbacks. Doesn't work. That's my, the, 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 they're trying to drill these emotional stakes for you and it doesn't work at all. Sounds like you hated this movie because like you've complained about everything about it. What did you like about it? It made me cry like four times. (laughs) (laughs) I just, there is, like I said, like the emotional (laughs) payoff is, it just works. It does. like. Yeah, but at the same time, I hated every fucking decision they made. Yeah, listen, I
0: I think it's a little overlong. I think the plot is a little too elaborate. I think there's too many
1: fucking the Adam characters. Warlock shit. Yeah, the, I, I the think villain. the villains
0: don't always work. I think James Gunn sometimes is tasteless when it comes to particularly the flashbacks with like all the animal abuse and stuff, which I found like more unpleasant than anything. I didn't find yes. it as effective as I found it. Just like oh, this is not fun at all, Mm. even though it's dressed in that sort of like flippant James Gunn style. That's always been the thing about him. It's like he shows you this horrific violence on screen and you're expected to laugh at it, but not in a like Tarantino way, but in like a really like sick and twisted trauma way. It's, It's definitely the least effective of the Guardians movies. There's no question about that. But it's also like an MCU movie that dares to say something about its characters, you know, and give them like arcs. And, and give them personalities and let performers do things. And I guess I'm grading on the biggest fucking curve of say, all time. I say, that should be the
2: bare minimum of li- literally every movie that's ever been made. I know, it's by but far sh- the most I've enjoyed an MCU <laughs> thing in ages. Sure, yeah. In
1: ages. You know, no, I can, yeah, sure. I can get behind that statement, but that doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> it's, it's. We're good, Nick. We're done. Yeah, we. I think we did it. We did it. We got through all it. All the pretexts. Oh, we did it. <laughs>
0: All right, Barbenheimer. <laughs> Where do you want to go first? Nick, you're the guest. I'll I'll give you the honors.
2: Wait a second. I want to talk about 80 for Brady for a second. Oh, word. Did no, you watch it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: Barbie first, obviously.
2: Okay. Okay, sure. Hey, Barbie. Can
1: I come to your house tonight?
2: Sure. I don't have anything big planned, just a giant blowout party with all the Barbies and plant choreography and a bespoke song. You should stop by. So cool. You
0: can find me under the lights. Diamonds under my eyes. This is the best day ever. It
2: is the best day ever. So is yesterday and so is tomorrow and every day from now until forever. <laughs> you guys ever think about dying?
1: That's how most people are probably watching the movies. I'm guessing most people are following the Barbenheimer. We did not. No. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I will be honest. It
0: was a bit of a whiplash walking out of Oppenheimer and the threat of nuclear holocaust and just being like, all right, I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world.
2: No, it was fine. I'm not sure I have a preference over which variation was better than the other. I don't know.
0: I guess the easy way to talk about this in podcasting form is to say which one we thought was better.
1: Do you want to do that? Pardon me, says it's not a fair question. I can I can give you a very clear answer, Uh but it's not a fair question. Completely different movies in every way, (laughs) right? Completely different genres, different vibe. Completely different. I mean, they could. That's part of the meme is how starkly different they are,
0: right? And they almost seem comically masculine and feminine.
2: That's why they—it's the yin and, and yang of it all. That's why it took off in, in that in such a fashion. And The black and white and the pink
0: pastels, and I mean, you know, seventy percent of the Oppenheimer audience was male. Seventy percent of the Barbie audience was female. So,
2: right? I mean, so much of like the like our reaction to culture in general is so black and white now. Anyway, it is the perfect representation of both sides of the spectrum. Right. So yeah, yes, I am not surprised at all that this trend took off the way that it did.
1: One I've, see, I've seen on the
2: internet. This is the Mamma Mia Dark Knight.
1: Yeah, that was the last one. Nick, yeah.
2: Nick, I'm sure this, I was telling this to Nico a couple of weeks ago. This will probably, this will make much more sense to you. But I was comparing it to the craze when Doom Eternal and Animal Crossing came out at the same time. Oh, yeah. Right right at the beginning of COVID. So everybody was stuck at home and they had nothing to do. And it was either play
1: Doom or play Animal Crossing. <laughs> exactly. Yep, yep. And I'll tell you, I played a lot of Animal Crossing, Adam. Yeah, they, and I <laughs> played a lot of Doom Eternal. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. It's not a fair question. Oppenheimer is the better movie, though. Yes. Without a question. In ten straight
0: rounds. Yeah, just absolute fucking domination, in my opinion.
1: But it would be so unfair to even imply that Greta Gerwig was trying to make a movie that could compete with Oppenheimer, because that was not her intent all right let's talk let's let's
0: talk Greta Gerwig for a second so uh I believe that Greta Gerwig is a special filmmaker
2: yes one of the best of our time right now she's constantly doing Greta and she she will not stop I think she's fucking special and I think there are parts of this movie
0: that reinforce that idea for me I think Noah Baumbach her partner and co-writer of this movie is fucking special and is one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. I mean, at this point, like, he means more to me than Greta Gerwig does. Maybe one day she'll surpass him. But, yeah, I mean, they they both mean a tremendous amount to me and I wanted to love this movie so much because of that. I did see some bad habits in this movie that I have seen in in broadly Noah Baumbach movies, but specifically collaborations that he's done with Greta Gerwig in the past. This is not the first time that they've co-written a movie together. They co-wrote Francis Ha together. They co-wrote Mistress America together. Greta Gerwig just starred in White Noise that he directed last year. I'm sure they've been exchanging notes on all of their collaborations since they began dating. So we have a large body of work, even if it's not like an intellectual property, giant summer staple, right? No one does talking the themes of the movie better than these two people. (laughs) But it has its limits. Okay. And sometimes, if you talk the themes of the movie, it starts to feel like a lecture and nothing feels more boring than a fucking lecture. Oh, Nico's treading lightly here. No, I'm trying to
1: tread lightly. Okay, let me give you an example. I also want to be fair to the movie because the movie also treads lightly. And I almost wish it didn't.
0: I'm trying to be agnostic about the politics of the movie specifically. Like, I don't want to get into that because the most boring fucking people are doing that on, on social media this week. And we don't need to add to that fucking cauldron of discourse, right? The end of Marriage Story. We all know the scene that went viral of Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson in the screaming match. And in that scene, they are like talking through the themes of the movie. But they are doing it in a context that is emotionally um, sensitive and the characters never get too introspective. Like they are meta in the way that human beings are actually meta, right? They are talking through the problems that they have with each other. I lost my twenties because of you. Uh, You slept with other women, all of that stuff. They are explicitly voicing the subtext of the movie, but never to the point
1: where it becomes unrealistic. That is actually how people talk about their problems. When you have a problem that lingers that long, you talk it through to yourself in your head so many times that it becomes scripted. You think about exactly how you're going to say it. And when you actually finally
2: let it out, it's like you've pre-prepared the statement a hundred times in the shower. Right. Mm. There's also that that frustration that comes over you when you know you're not quite expressing it the way that you want to. Happens all the time. That's also just a scene that we kind of know is coming is the thing. But just still feels so like haunting and startling and natural to their characters that not once am I actually thinking, oh, yeah, they're just kind of going through like what the movie's really all about here. It's just so perfect for the moment. It gets, I mean, it, it's very important that it comes at that point in time in the movie, too, because if it happens anywhere earlier, it doesn't make any sense. Right.
0: Uh, Little Women is a similar thing, right? It's a great movie. <laughs> great movie. Sir Ronan and Chalamet have that conversation on the hillside. It's a great and scene. It's very on the nose. And it's not like this heightened conflict. It's a sensitive romantic scene, but there's still emotion attached to it. And when you, when you marry the emotion and the theory together, right, you get this absolute fucking magic. But it has to be just right. It has to be just right, you know? Mistress America is a movie that ends with a 20-minute, essentially uninterrupted one-act play where characters are talking through all of their neuroses and their problems. I like that movie a lot. Greta's really good in it. It collapses under its own weight, though, at the end of it. And it just feels like these two brilliant people are theorizing about their own movie. And Barbie, yes, it kind of feels like a feminine studies lecture, no question about (laughs) it. But it also feels like you're reading a review or a critical analysis of the movie while you're watching the movie it's almost like the movie is deconstructing itself and telling you out loud what it wants to say and that's frustrating
1: it's really fucking frustrating because i liked the first act a lot i think he got in the way he, he did. Maybe, maybe maybe it's
2: bomb i don't know yeah. it's first yeah no it's perfectly possible
1: yeah i think it's too many cooks in the kitchen and I think if there's a clear one of these two that I want to make this movie, it's Greta.
2: Get out of the fucking way, Noah. It hasn't happened yet in a Greta movie. It's happened a couple times in a Baumbach movie. That's yeah. all I'm going to say. I will I will give the movie credit for this. It's like if if you're going to be that heavy handed, this is I mean, it's it's not Mistress America. It's Barbie. So it kind of makes a little more sense in this framing. Right. Uh, it's you know, much more cartoony. It doesn't make literal sense. It's you know, your your, your senses are heightened as it is. Says something about the effectiveness, though, even, where even once it happens, I'm still like, oh, yeah, that is taking me out of the movie. Even in a movie that's this absurd and surreal and stupid, deliberately so, but stupid, I was like, oh my God, that doesn't feel quite right. What the hell? I, I actually disagree with you. I think that because it's already so
1: heightened and over the top and Barbie, that's the reason you don't have to do it. There's already so much subtext. To making a Barbie movie in 2023. You don't
2: need to explain that. No, that's what the movie should have done. You're absolutely right about that.
0: At the same time, I I had a similar experience watching Spider-Verse this year. Just a month ago. The movie makes it impossible for you to criticize it. Because you can tell that Greta has thought through all of your criticisms during the writing of the movie. And it's so fucking self-aware, this thing. Yep. How do I attack? It's... Uh, attachment to the corporation Mattel when they literally put the board of Mattel into the movie as characters in the movie, right? How do I attack Barbie's unfair social standards for little girls when that is explicitly what the movie is about? And similarly, I find the themes of this movie, although they're fucking didactic, I find the didacticism... Part of the style. Like it almost leans into it so much. There's so much meta-ness that after a while, you're just like, all right, I guess I have to buy into this or else I can't engage with the movie at all. That being said, I don't know. The last 20 minutes are a challenge for me. They're a real challenge. When I'm just like, wrap it up already, I know the emotion is there. I'm not saying that the third act of this movie is devoid of an emotional center. But it starts to feel removed from that. It starts to drift away from that more. It does. And that's when I'm like, all right, just fucking wrap it up.
2: Well, I, I mean, yeah, like I said, the, the whole, you know, the postmodern sensibility is kind of only working for me for so long here. I actually kind of want us to get away from that and be a little more sincere, which is what an, another movie we're going to talk about certainly does. I mean, the thing you can level against is that, like, the approach, the way it delivers those ideas just doesn't feel all that refreshing. It does, You know, you were just saying that Greta is special. Well, I don't think she delivers many of these ideas in a very special or refreshing manner. It just nothing wrong with the message, but I've heard it a gajillion times. I, I can close my eyes and, and read it.
1: I want to be a little firmer because I really enjoyed this movie.
2: I had a fun. It was fun.
1: I laughed. A lot during this movie. I laughed out loud, belly laughs, a lot. I had a great time with this movie, genuinely. It's hilarious. Yeah. But my biggest issue isn't even that, because you guys are saying, I can't attack it here. I can. I don't even want to attack it. I just struggled to even understand exactly what it was trying to say, because at times the message, like you said, it's didactic. It's almost like trying to say two things at once, and it wasn't 100% clear. Mm-hmm. I mentioned to you guys in the group chat, I was like, is there a way I can watch this movie again without having to go to the theater right now? Because... <laughs> I feel like I needed to watch it again. Get to the bottom of what it was actually trying to tell you. It felt a little a little muddled, but like not, not really in a bad way. Like I said, I had a good time, but... Have its cake and eat it too, a little bit. Mm. Strangely, we're talking about this movie and Oppenheimer together. This movie's much shorter than Oppenheimer, but I'll tell you which one felt longer. Thank you. The pacing of this movie. Thank you. And I noticed it particularly when they were like... We're going to go from Barbie land to the real world. First, you get in your convertible. Then you get on the boat. Then you go camping. Then you go on the snowmobile. Then you go rollerblading. It's fun, but you're right. The journey to L.A. is the worst part of the movie. Mm -hmm. And it does that journey and then does their journey back and then does that journey and then does the journey back and then does that journey. And it's like, oh, my God, structurally. Yeah, this is only a criticism of the movie against Oppenheimer, which, again, as I said at the beginning, is not fair. But this movie is a much slower pace.
0: Yeah, um I think the first half hour is pretty remarkable. I kind of wanted them to yeah. just stay in the first half hour of the movie where, you know, there is a pretty on the nose Helen Mirren VO, but for the most part like the world building, the production design in this
2: it's movie is amazing.
0: is incredible. Yeah. The cinematography by Rodrigo Prieto is also excellent. Pretty remarkable and it's kind of amazing that she's getting this kind of heavyweight to shoot her movie, but it pays off. It does like an excellent job of threading the needle too between like the low art cartoonishness with like on-screen animations and on-the-nose sound effects and also like a genuine high art world. But, and you know, I, I heard the movie described as defensive in a review. And I think that's actually a pretty good way of putting it. It's almost like Baumbach and Gerwig... writing to a point and then they realized oh this is a criticism that they might levy at us you know is the movie too corporate is it not corporate enough is it too feminist is it not feminist enough you know and it's constantly doing that juggling yeah. yeah exactly right it's constantly doing this juggling act where it can't just be a fucking movie because it has the weight of the intellectual property on its shoulders which credit to them that they went for it in that way and they didn't just make a by numbers, super Mario brothers adaptation that they actually decided to interrogate it. Um, but at a certain point you have to just make your movie and you have to make it with confidence. And there's an element of this movie. And I know that these two people are very neurotic people. You can see that in their indie work, right? Oh yeah. You know, you can see them doubling back and being like, ah, like is Mattel evil in this movie? Is it not evil enough? Is the studio going to censor us here? You know, are we threading this needle okay? And they do an admirable enough job at it, but it's a headache.
2: It's just a fucking headache at times. Sure. You know? It's not the Lego movie. doesn't hit
1: that.
0: Right. Which uses Will Ferrell as a... Interestingly, yeah. Yeah, as a CEO of sorts, right? In both versions, yeah. That's right.
1: Again, it, it is a comedy. And, I mean, and that's very clear from the opening line to the last line of the movie. It is a comedy through and through. An adult comedy, by yes. the way. Yes, adult comedy, and comedies always get the short stick, which is why I, th- I know it's so easy for three dudes
2: to be like, "Oppenheimer's better than Barbie." Yeah, but it just is. Yeah. Yeah, just... <laughs> Sorry, ladies, it is. It just is. Yeah. It's not a not re- much of a question. Got to mansplain this to you. <laughs> that's not why it's better. Though. But, let, but let me
1: say this though: like, if Greta Gerwig made a drama and Nolan made a comedy, I think. Gerwig's movie would be better that's correct yeah (laughs) right like so it's not fair it's just not fair
0: Margot Robbie she's really good in this movie she plays the naivete of a doll very well that becomes enlightened it's kind of a coming-of-age story the one performance I thought of on reflection was Tom Hanks in Big. That's a good comparison, yeah. You know, who is playing a child in an adult's body and has to play this naivete that a child would never have. And similarly, a person of Margot Robbie's age would not have the naivete of a doll. And she effectively plays a piece of plastic that becomes enlightened. And she also has to be funny. And I don't know, when she says, we don't have vaginas, I don't have a vagina, he doesn't have a
2: penis. Like, I laugh. I laugh really hard. Yeah, it's funny. She's not the funniest thing about the movie, though. No, she doesn't get, like, the overtly no. yeah. hilarious moments, but yeah, she's
1: she's excellent. Margot Robbie is, like, the perfect Barbie. Hard to imagine. Anyone else? Yeah. I don't even just mean of our time. I really think, like, in, like, most of Hollywood, there aren't many people who could play this role better.
0: She's excellent. She's ridiculous. And I know, like, all the reviews are starting off with, like, Ryan Gosling is going to win Best Supporting Actor, and... Fair, I get it. And I know the irony of, like, praising Ryan Gosling in this feminist dude,
2: fantasy movie. Dude, dude, if he fucking movie, wins the Oscar over her, uh, which he, he would.
0: I just don't want to, like, underestimate how
2: great Margot is. She's very good. Because she's not being
0: talked about. She's fucking great in it. Yeah, she's very good. But Gosling just steals every scene and gets to do the song and dance, gets the big musical number.
2: Gets all the laugh lines. He's incredible. In that. She kind of gets shafted in that way. He, honestly, like she, I do agree that she's great, but he casts such a shadow over every other element of this movie that I, 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 I don't even think of it as a Margot Robbie vehicle. I just think of it as, <laughs> I just think of it as Ryan Gosling being the man for, <laughs> for an hour, hour fifty, and that's so against what the movie's about.
0: <laughs> so
2: it is an unintended consequence. Yeah. yeah.
0: No, he's fucking great. Like, um, I, I said this to you in the theater, that montage where he walks into the office building and he sees pictures of money and, and beer commercials <laughs> and horses the and sports highlights. And he's like, whoa, I'm finally like a person. You know, finally someone understands me. And I'm in the theater like, fuck yeah, that looks sick. <laughs>
2: oh no it's
0: effective satire in that way
1: but it really became clear to me when i got home and i explained the plot to michaela and i said so ken discovers the patriarchy and he loves it exactly and i'm sitting there like as a dude coming out of fucking
0: three hours of nuclear bomb testing and i'm like yeah i love the patriarchy too it rules It's sick. I want to
2: ride a horse. Uh, We're sorry, Greta.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, but she does a really good job with that. And I'll tell you what, one of the great little moments of this is when the Kens sing the matchbox 20 song, which I thought was a perfect fucking selection on multiple levels. First of all, it's classic yacht rock, right? It's just classic tool bag, uh, soft adult alternative. But also the lyrics of the movie match the themes of the movie where I want to push you around and I will and I will.
1: Mm
2: -hmm.
0: It works on so many levels that way. But meanwhile, I'm sitting there like, yeah, I love Matchbox
2: 20. Oh, my God. I'm sitting there like, (laughs) fuck every single one of these pieces of shit. (laughs) I'm just like being a dude rocks. Yeah. Mini fridges. (laughs) Mutilate these dolls. (laughs) Oh my too late. Oh my god, I hate it. I but but again, that that works for me cuz I've been there and I've been like, yo, fuck that guy over there. <laughs> right. I hate him. I also love in the resolution of this,
1: basically all of the Kenneth brought the patriarchy to Barbie Land. That's right. And uh all of the Barbies have basically just accepted this because they didn't ha- as they put it, it's like smallpox for the Native Americans. They didn't have any defense mechanism against it cuz they've never experienced it. <laughs> yeah. So they all just get sucked into being servantile or whatever so in order to get the barbies out of it they need to like kidnap them pull them away while the kens are distracted and like retrain their brains essentially yep i love in the distractions of the kens like one of them is like oh i've never seen the godfather
2: and he just turns and he's like oh let me tell you about the godfather i'm like at which point i turned to nico and stopped looking at the screen for about five minutes (laughs) i've like been there done that (laughs) nico goes out looking for wood. <laughs> that's what he does at bars this <laughs> keeps his ear out
1: <laughs> <What>? <laughs> let me let me just say this because i know what you mean by this movie might have been too defensive because if this movie had just been straight like pro-feminism that's it it would have been panned for that people would have been like oh they didn't show both sides it was just you know yeah yeah but at the same time i think the movie suffers because it didn't go for that. Because it does try to it does try to show both sides. It was gonna get panned, no matter. I mean,
2: yeah, it's too. If right. they You're dip their toe it in that, do that do water, it,
1: yeah, it
0: doesn't matter what they do, and, and so they do the best to balance as much of it as possible. And yeah, again, it's a weird fucking movie. That's the other thing. It's a weird fucking movie, dude. Not a lot of like two hundred million dollar blockbusters look and sound and are written like this, you know. Yeah, I will say some of the jokes I found, as you said, very funny. Like the BBC Pride and Prejudice joke. Thought that was really funny. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah, that was great.
0: And then there's just some stuff that's like, really, I'm gonna beat you
2: off. You're gonna beach me off. That wasn't I never liked that one even in the trailer, but Yeah, yeah.
0: it was like there was also a, like a Snyder cut joke in there that I felt was like a little on the nose. I don't know. Like there are times where it kind of ventures into you're too online. You know what I mean? There are times where the movie kind of feels like that. And there are other times where it's really insightful in a way that I didn't even realize as a dude that's just living. Rent free in the patriarchy, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Um,
2: I do love the ending though, I will give it that as well. The absolute, the absolute ending, yeah, where she's sitting in that void and talking with Ruth about, you know, what it means to go off and feel just a great. I was not expecting that out of a Barbie movie, yeah, uh, and not expecting the final punchline, the the joke that she says when she goes to see the gynecologist. (laughs) That was, uh, that was great. That was. The best, like, fake out. <laughs> I loved it. I fucking loved it. Um, it also starts with just one of the funniest things I've ever seen in a movie theater with the opening. It just was dying laughing. It was so fucking oh, funny. Oh, 2001. I, I was like, yeah. this is funny. Like, I know it's a reference to another movie, but this is really fucking funny.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you what. We have uh, often lampooned in the past directors that go on the press tour and they talk about all of the influences <laughs> that went into their Marvel movie with fucking infinity stones. Uh, Greta Gerwig talked about umbrellas of Sherborg talked about playtime, talked about all of these like really lofty classic Hollywood films. And she delivers on that. Like you actually see that in the movie and I got to give her credit. The chick is for real.
2: The offices in, in this are just ripped straight out
0: of playtime, straight out of playtime. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is a person that has seen all of the movies that she claims to be influenced by and, I can't say that about the Russo brothers. I'm sorry. I can't
2: say that about them. No Three Days of the Condor vibes coming from their movies? No. No. <laughs>
0: Whereas, yeah, this actually is like the Truman Show. I totally yeah, understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of a little bit like Wizard of Oz, like an old school Technicolor Hollywood musical. Um, I Yeah, it's not lip service.
1: The reality is... Greta doesn't fucking miss. Yeah, I don't think really, I don't think she missed. And this movie is not a miss. It is a solid base
2: hit, if not a double, triple, or home Absolutely. run.
0: Absolutely, I think she got on base. Definitely,
2: it, it's a double. That's what I'll say. It's a double. It's not. Oh wow. Yeah, there okay. we go. Yeah, awfully not bad. a home run, but maybe even steal third. Huh? No. You think she's stealing third? Uh, they're not putting <laughs> any runs on the
0: board. this <laughs> <end>. <laughs> No, no, no. But she, <laughs> she got on base and she helped her war a little bit. You know what I mean? She, it's it's good. That's how we should review every movie now.
1: Yeah,
2: based <laughs> in baseball terms, <laughs> you wish. It's a foul. It a not, we're not
0: ground rule doubled infield fly rule on this one. I will not <laughs> indulge you there, Nico. Sorry. <laughs>
2: um. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Sarah. Good. Yes. Alan. Very. Oh, good. Michael Sarah was great. He was delightful of the movie. I wanted more Alan. That's all I want. Just get. Just he's my guy. <laughs> No kidding. Is there anyone more like me in the movie? I'm just saying (laughs) I am Alan.
1: (laughs) I have to say though, I'm kinda getting to the point with Michael Sarah's career where I'm sick of Michael Sarah being Michael Sarah. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Could not disagree more. (laughs)
0: Because he's used very sparingly now, he barely shows up in anything. So every time he comes in, it's a nice I, little zest.
1: I want I just feel like he's typecast so hard that I want to see him do something different.
2: I want Michael Sarah to always play Marlon Brando. Personally. He is so great in that Twin Peaks scene.
0: <laughs> He's, that might be the
2: best scene in the entire Twin Peaks miniseries. No, it is the fucking atom <laughs> bomb scene. Well, okay, not the, to the reference atom <laughs> bomb, I got to be ever put to film. That's right, I, it is. I'm, not, I'm still referencing Oppenheimer. I have to, yeah. but it is the best scene in that entire show. <laughs> from an atomic device might never stop are we saying there's a chance that when we push that button we destroy the world chances are near zero near zero what do you want for theory alone zero it would be nice
0: I got a little take in the oven. It's just heating up. I don't know if I'm ready to take it out yet.
2: What? Best Nolan movie?
0: I think this is Christopher Nolan's best movie.
2: Ugh. That's what I think.
1: I think it is.
2: I don't agree with
1: that, but that's okay. That's a, that's a fine take. I
2: don't agree either.
1: What's
0: Christopher
2: Nolan's best movie? Uh, The Prestige. I, well, my my order is whack. Because I don't like Christopher Nolan. But hold on, though. Is this
1: is this your favorite? Or is this actually your objectively... Is there a difference? Objectively. Uh, yeah. See, I don't buy yes. it there's a difference. It's oh, absolutely. No, because I can watch a movie and say, <sighs> I can appreciate that this was done well, but it's not my fucking cup of tea. I do not have the time in
0: my life to differentiate those two things.
1: You know what I mean? <laughs> I, like- I love The Prestige more than I like fucking Interstellar. I, the Prestige is my favorite one. I don't think it's the best one. Not necessarily the I, best. I don't have the I don't
0: have the fucking time to sit in a the theater and be like what parts of my brain are enjoying it because of my quirks and what parts of my brain are enjoying it objectively. I can't split the atom like that. Like fucking Oppenheimer can. <laughs> All right. Oppenheimer. I think it is Christopher Nolan's best movie. I am not sure of that yet. I'm gonna have to think about it a little more. I'm gonna have to see it again, certainly. I think this is kind of the culmination of his entire filmmaking style and ethos. I I agree with that, actually.
1: I think his editing
2: style, certainly, too. It is absolutely the culmination of every film he's ever edited. (laughs) It is, you know, whether or not you like it, it it does very, very, very much feel like he is doing what he's always wanted to do in the most seamless way possible. Yes. Jennifer Lame,
0: who collaborated with him first on Tenet, believe it or not, got her start working on Noah Baumbach movies. Her first movie ever edited was Francis Ha, and she did Mistress America, Marriage Story, all throughout. So she started on those movies, started working with him on Tenet, and jumps into this one, which is, I think, probably his most ambitiously edited movie yet.
2: No. What? You don't think so? No. What are you talking about? (laughs) His most ambitiously edited- You don't think so? No, God, no. What would that be? No, Memento is as easily as most a- ambitiously edited film. It's not even close. No, you know, Memento is really not
1: actually, though. Like, I look back at it and it's it feels like the entire movie was built around the premise of I'm going to edit it like this. Yes. Like, that doesn't make it more ambitious.
2: What's so ambitious about this? The fact that he's cutting across multiple timelines? I don't know. It's it's JFK, guys. It's fine. It, <laughs> frankly, he did that better in Dunkirk. There's three timelines. I would agree with that, actually.
0: Oh, he does it better in
1: Dunkirk.
2: Yes, I would actually. He I, does do it better in Dunkirk. I completely yeah. agree with you. Yeah. I don't like Dunkirk quite as much, but I you're you're not wrong, Nick. I, this movie is in conversation with Dunkirk in that way. Yeah, I don't
0: know which one does it better. but, no, I, but
1: the editing in this film is... I'm not a huge fan of Memento. I think it's fine, but like I do think it's clunky, and this movie is a masterpiece in the edit. I mean, it moves. It's three hours long, and it fucking moves.
2: I My eyes did not move away from the screen for three hours straight. I'm not joking. I will say there is about a 20-minute chunk of the movie, uh, a little after the actual Trinity test itself, that slogged a bit for me, but for the most part yes I actually completely well that was agree. just
1: you coming down off that high man are you fucking kidding well you I will talk IMAX. about the Don't Trinity digital test. sound no no he no he no, didn't no. like the
2: Trinity I test will still. talk all about the fucking Trinity which test which I in think this is movie. like a deranged opinion
1: but uh, he's like eh it's a little underwhelming sucked I will talk I'll talk about that <laughs> yeah so the answer of like well how did he do it is he basically didn't
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah I will talk all about like I just did not like that scene okay. but um uh, so I wasn't exactly. I am fucking Benny Saft it was dude, it, <laughs> it was it was the furthest thing from a high you could possibly imagine. But no, yeah, the, it, it, and I'm not really so much talking about like the you know the, the stuff with like he's realizing what he's done. It's 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 a section regarding the the, the hearing processes and the, yeah, there's like a 20 minute section where it's just it's very repetitive and I'm hearing the same thing over and over again.
0: Totally get it. Um, totally but, fucking get it. No, and, but, and I think but and it's not so much like a come down from that scene itself, but it's a come down from like. The structure of
2: the movie suddenly being pulled out from under it, right? It's, well, it's not even so much that; it's just the whole movie. It's like, oh my god, we're back here again. Like I, well, I, it's I a, for the know- first
0: two hours, it's a how do we do the thing movie, and
1: then in the last third, it it
0: suddenly becomes just a courtroom
2: drama. It's it's jumping
1: back and forth. It's- also sterile and bureaucratic, and it's meant to be, Adam. Yeah, I know. I know, I'm. I
2: all I'm I, say- I totally agree with you. That's the thing that fucking elevates this thing to five stars for me. Oh, I'm not, <laughs> I'm yeah, not gonna, I understand why someone wouldn't like I'm it. I'm not getting a word in here. This is frustrating. <laughs> no, guys, I'm, I I, don't even disagree with you. I'm just saying at, at a certain point, it's just like, yeah, I'm not heavily em- emotionally unengaged. But just for this like 20-minute uh-huh. section here. But I agree with you for the most part. It, it's a three-hour movie that does not really feel like a three-hour movie. I see what you're saying. Yeah.
1: I think actually there's a chance that on a rewatch, those scenes will work better for you because the reason there's another hour after the bomb, the way that all turns out makes those scenes worth it.
2: Yes. And I I don't disagree with you. Yeah, I think that's that that was one of the I mean, one of the best scenes of the movie Is uh, the, what what places are we, are are we going to pick Nagasaki, Hiroshima, this other place? That's one of, that is my favorite scene in the movie. One billion percent agree with you. Here's what I'll say. The last hour of the
0: movie feels very Aaron Sorkin-y. And it's like political machinations, particularly like in his handling of communism and how the Mm. movie kind of addresses it, but doesn't really go all the way with it. I think some of the effective scenes in that section are the less Sorkin-y, more like Oliver Stoney? You referenced JFK, but the more like Oliver Stoney, like politically incisive, like that scene where we just see the callousness of all of the leaders deciding where they're going to drop this bomb. Mm-hmm. What's the one guy say? My wife and I like to vacation in. Kyoto, right? Yeah, so and it's like, yeah exactly. There.
2: I love that. The emotional. I don't
0: know
1: if you, that's a, that's true. By the way, I knew that beforehand. I don't know if you guys did. Yeah, but. that's no.
0: I knew that as well. Yeah. So that stuff fucking cuts really deep. When Emily Blunt is under interrogation, and the prosecutor and her get into this like uh, tit for tat about her associations with communism, and she's like getting one over on him just because she has a way with words. That to me feels very Aaron Sorkin, West Wingy. <laughs> We're all going to get up in the theater and applaud because of, you know the principles of our main characters. And I just like the bleak shit more than that.
2: It's a pretty confident script. I was surprised. I don't generally like Christopher Nolan's writing at all, but I do think it's serviced pretty well here. Actually, I was pretty okay with the dialogue aside from a couple lines here and there. I was like, no, you know, Nolan is, is living in this space more than he usually does. Often he gets kind of bogged down in the immensity of what he's Talking about oh, well, this movie certainly does. That. It does, but it's often earned by just like the nature of the narrative. This movie I guess. was billed
0: as a movie about the most important man that ever lived. That is what Christopher Nolan yeah. said about yeah.
1: But it also helps that the mythos surrounding Oppenheimer is already elevated like that. Like it's the perfect subject for Nolan.
2: Yeah, and, and this was my my. I felt like I got the movie almost instantly because it doesn't really feel like a documentary at all to me. It doesn't barely even feels like all that like. Dramatic. I, I. was. It's viewing, not a biopic. It, I mean, it is. Well, I mean, it is, but it, it doesn't it feel isn't. like one. Yeah. No, it just feels like a very like. Confident impression of everything that happened. It's more of a snapshot of reality, which is why for me it occasionally feels like a three-hour-long movie trailer. Or yeah, a, you mentioned that it's like a three-hour montage. It kind of is. It kind of reminded me of like the first hour of like, uh, or not even the first, all of Elvis, just extended for like three three hours. It wouldn't go that wow. far <laughs> in, but that, in that yeah, way. That, that that's putting it harshly. <laughs> which part of the reason why the editing style doesn't always work for me? Just because it's I'm I'm the editing is a little aggressive. And it's Nolan. I think it kept the movie
1: moving. It does. And it really helped a three hour movie not feel like a three hour movie. But at the same time, the timeline was confusing. And I think that is a detriment of this editing style for sure. Yes, I would. I would agree. It's not flawless. Yeah. And I watched multiple documentaries about Oppenheimer like in the past like couple weeks. I've just been popping them on. And if I hadn't done that, I might have been much more confused.
2: Yeah, it's not the most frenetic story in, in the world. I find it a little more, you know, contemplative than the way Nolan is, is sometimes playing it. I and mean, people forget that when they were actually doing the, you know, construction of the the bomb and planning for the Trinity test, there was a lot of like partying that these guys did. They were having a lot more fun than you would actually expect. So I was, I was a little surprised that when they actually got to Los Alamos, it was very like, we got to go. And it's like, it was more like college guys hanging out and the, doing their science experiments.
0: Yeah, Nolan reaches into his bag of tricks. He yeah. does his movie magic. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's any debate about that. It is not a perfect movie. I, I said this to you over text. Like nope. It's a Nolan movie. Of course, it's very fucking flawed. Of course, <laughs> like, no female character has any characteristic beyond being a drunk wife at home. Didn't, like... Well, I I, I Although like, Emily Blunt and Florence Pugh
2: were doing their best, like they're not given much to do. I was kind of okay with what how they used Emily Blunt's character. I will admit I didn't care for anything regarding Gene Tatlock's character. I thought that was a huge misjudgment of that section of the story. It is it's certainly flawed, no question about it.
0: It has the same ending as Tenet.
2: This movie. <laughs> What was the ending of Tenet?
0: Well, <laughs> sure. That I guess is the larger question <laughs> that only Wikipedia can answer. I was going to say this is one of the but, best.
2: This is one of the best endings no one's ever
1: had. <laughs> it was a perfect ending.
0: It has the same ending as Tenet. Kind of has the same ending as Memento and the same ending as Interstellar. And, and what I mean by that is, all of these movies are about characters that set a chain of events in motion before they know that the event has been set into motion. That is explicitly the ending of this movie. And Nolan movies are about characters that make trouble for themselves because they construct this elaborate web that they cannot control. Tenet is my least favorite Christopher Nolan movie. And it's my least favorite Christopher Nolan movie because it is a movie simply about the structure of it. It's like if James Bond could time travel, right? Aren't these set pieces so fucking sick to look at? And then you get to the ending and the movie kind of feels weightless. The protagonist set this chain of events into motion for himself. So we've been watching a movie that's already been predetermined. This movie applies that cinematic trick to the real world. And the editing structure, although you, you might find it kind of discombobulating or whatever, it's about how inevitable this area of scientific study is and how
2: inevitable our doom and destruction ultimately is. It, it's that notion in Jurassic Park where it, I've, I love that quote where it's like, you know, you're so preoccupied with whether or not you could and that you never stop to think if you should. That's exactly right. And that's why I think it's the most ingenious application
0: of Christopher Nolan's cinematic bag of tricks.
1: I thought that this uh, full hour at the end of just Robert Downey Jr.'s character and his hatred for Oppenheimer It was just this perfect little encapsulation of mad, mutually assured destruction, right? These two men who, through narcissism and misunderstanding, not even through war, not even through actual battle, open battles, they never once actually said a mean word to each other. It was through pure narcissism and misunderstanding. They both mutually destroyed each other. And if they had left each other alone, they both would have been happy and gotten what they wanted.
0: Well, they both come from different worlds, too. True, yeah. One comes from a political world, one comes from a scientific world, and neither can understand the other world. Although Oppenheimer is painted as a political figure in this, I think that's explicitly a line of dialogue, and it is true to the history, right? They don't show him, like, in front of a chalkboard, beautiful mind style, inventing the bomb by himself, but he comes from a world where uh, it's expected that things go wrong, and you're always looking at the worst contingency, where Robert Downey Jr. is only looking at upside. Mm -hmm. And these two clash because of that, right? I think uh, Downey Jr.'s character, Strauss, at the end of the movie says like, I gave this man everything, he should be thanking me. What I love about that line is that he's right. He actually is right. Like most people, if they were given everything that you gave them, the fame and fortune and notoriety that Oppenheimer received, they would be thanking you. He just can't understand that things don't work in the laboratory the same way they work in D.C.,
1: you know and vice versa too with Oppenheimer the other way it's a commentary on on just nuclear warfare though as well sure. yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely yeah that's a great point I didn't even think about that yeah. and again it wasn't through an actual battle it was through a misunderstanding and the narcissism
2: of Strauss thinking that Oppenheimer said something about him when he didn't and you see how that can balloon that's part of the reason why the idea is so scary that exactly. all all of this horror stems from this one little stupid interaction that Do doesn't really mean, in the book mean anything yeah
0: I'm wondering if that's
1: based in real life or not.
2: I don't know. That's a good question. That could totally be something that Nolan made up because
1: I I do have a few criticisms about Nolan's choices <laughs> where so he's it? playing with history.
2: <laughs> oh yes. That, okay. So there's some stupid ass lines regarding I can run the Manhattan Project. That's
0: that's <laughs> definitely a moment that worked for me despite but, my better judgment. You know, like I think about it and I'm like. Really, this guy would have such a vendetta against Oppenheimer and would tar and feather him in the streets because Einstein
2: looked at him funny by the lake one time. But I don't know, the context of the movie and the way that Downey plays it, like I buy it. Downey's great in the movie. He's, he's this is one of the best performances of his career, in my opinion. Yeah, it's one yeah. of the only times he's acted in the last in, 20 years. Exactly. Too, so that's nice to see. <laughs> yeah, if if that is a, a, a true story, I would actually be kind of surprised. It doesn't come off that way. It definitely feels like a, a, a Nolan device. What I could see is this line
1: that um, Strauss kept saying of he poisoned all the scientists against me. If Nolan took that line and just extrapolated from there, what if I take the most famous scientist that crossed both of their paths, right. Albert Einstein, right. and I use that as the symbol for Oppenheimer poisoning the scientist against him, right? It's very effective in that way. The use of Einstein, I think actually the actor that plays him is really good, mm-hmm. and I,
0: I like all the Einstein scenes. There are some moments like when Oppenheimer has just been served the paperwork that his security clearance is about to be revoked. And Einstein is just standing behind a car that drives away. He just happens to be there yeah. as like the Yoda figure
2: to consult it's, it's, Luke. It's, it's like it's fucking Einstein.
0: You know, like <laughs> there are some moments, you know, where it's like that. But I don't know. I I, I was in the mode of the movie. I, didn't
1: I think shit. that helps because Einstein being there does two things for me. Right. One, it really drills home how respected Oppenheimer actually was at that time, because a lot of people don't know or realize mm. And I also think that Einstein helps set the movie in time. It does. Because it's jumping around so much and it can be so confusing. Whenever you see
2: Einstein, it helps me feel grounded. I'm like, okay, I know where I am. It's kind of a buoy I can latch on to. Yeah.
0: I was always the, under the impression that he was more involved in the atomic bomb than he
1: was. Nope, It was more letters that he wrote to Roosevelt. Yeah. Okay. Warning of the
2: dangers of Germany developing the bomb. That was the extent of his involvement. But people forget about the influence that Robert Oppenheimer had, that he, he was Einstein's boss for a period of time.
0: That was kind of cool that like there's this fraternity of scientists that kind of just hang out on a school campus or whatever and talk about molecules all day and change the world. You know, that was kind of it, it was cool to see the collaborative aspects of it. Like mm-hmm. it's fun and zippy in those first two hours. But like, it still acknowledges the Russians were the ones that split the atom first, were just bouncing off of their research. Yep. And Oppenheimer was involved, but more as the face of it than the hands-on scientist, you know? So it does a great job
1: of doing biography, but also, like, good showmanship. I loved the opening line about Prometheus. Yeah. Yeah. That was just perfect. I just loved it. I just love that so much. That's honestly, I think, a better quote to describe Oppenheimer's life than the "I am become death, destroyer of worlds." That's all often attributed to him. Right. The Prometheus gave man fire, and for that, he was punished, and tortured. Yeah. Like that is, ah. Oh. Yeah, chef's kiss right there
2: very fucking on the nose but like it works so perfectly for the specifically this character it's like yeah, yeah it does feel like nolan has been waiting to tell this story for quite a while which is it's a movie with a tremendous amount of integrity in that way as well i have a major criticism
1: of how he portrayed oppenheimer which is that and this is not his fault necessarily i think he made oppenheimer especially at the beginning probably more likable than he deserved to be (laughs) particularly the apple scene where it's a true story that Oppenheimer tried to poison his teacher. Uh But Nolan portrays it at the last second. He regretted it and he takes the apple away. That shit didn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) Like Oppenheimer would have murdered his teacher. Okay. and You know why he didn't get expelled from school? Why is that? Because his parents were rich Uh. and they convinced the president of Cambridge or whatever to let him stay. Like this is a rich, entitled
2: white kid who was honestly a piece of shit until he got older? Until he developed the persona of Oppenheimer, because he's a he's a scared little kid that sucks in the lab. He's, he makes every mistake. He can't do shit. He just has a deep, deep, deep affinity. He's very intelligent, and he has a deep affinity for theoretical physics. And that's where he. I would really like to up, see yeah.
1: him more angry and bitter. More scenes of him like in the bedroom, in his dorm room, just shaking on the ground like he did. We only get one scene of that. The
2: way they did the ge- his discovery of Gene Tatlock's suicide, I'm like, y- you're playing that for five seconds? Like, it almost yeah. ruined him when she died. He almost, like, gave up entirely when, when she died. Like, left the world. He, he, he was a fucking wreck. There's also a great sequence where they're they're going through, like, should we do the implosion method or the firing method? And he they're like, we should do the firing method. And it failed so miserably that he also almost quit the Manhattan Project. He was so discouraged that he's just like, we can't. Can't do this, it's fucked, and then uh, people had to essentially talk him off the ledge. So he's a much more like emotionally complicated character than the movie lets on, which is again, like I said earlier, it's an impression of the guy, it's an impression of the event, it's not like a documentary. But this is kind of another thing I wanted to bring up as far as the movie because. A lot of people were haunted by the movie. I was so haunted by it. Oh, my God. Um, I, I was checking my closet for fucking ghosts that night, dude. I thought it was fun, <laughs> and that's a problem. I, I was like, wait a second. I'm not sure this movie should have been as fun as it was, because I thought it was kind of like a thrilling experience. Uh-huh. And it, t- it talks about these things, about sort of the, the ills of being so scientifically ambitious and, and really going for something, but you know that can backfire horribly. that was not my emotional response to the movie whatsoever. It was like, that was just a really, really thrilling movie that had a haunting message at the very, very end. And yes, it does culminate with everything that happened before, but I I gotta be honest. I left the theater thinking like, yeah, fuck. Yeah. That was fun. Which is why I was so amped to kind of go into Barbie. I wasn't like, I wasn't like, I don't want to go see another movie. I can't sleep. It's like
1: that whole idea of like, can you do it, but should you like, it's pretty well explained that like they have to, because if they don't worse, people will, there's no question of that. It's the really, the culminating point is, well, we're here
2: now. Eh, Really? It it definitely has something to say about the question. Like, should we have even done this at all? No,
0: I think the movie is starkly. We should not have done
2: this. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think for the
1: time it was the wrong decision, but now they're saying, well, but now we're here. Like we're, we're in a corner. What are you going to do? Either
2: way. It's bad. I think. I don't I don't think the movie picks a side. It definitely treats the moment fairly. I'll I'll say that. I I do think it, it 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 the movie would prefer that we never made atomic bombs. That's right. But I'm it, sure everyone would. Yes, exact yeah, exactly. But it's extremely <laughs> yeah, fair with the handling of a lot of those ideas for sure, yeah.
1: I do have one more one more criticism again about the presentation of Oppenheimer, mm-hmm. which is in reality we know Oppenheimer had these ties to communism, but mm. um was never a card-carrying member of the Communist Party. We know those two facts. What do you mean? Mm.
2: You know, his, his brother and girlfriend were members of the Communist he Party. He had ties,
1: but it's like... was well, his wife
2: and ex-wife. Yeah, were that's, both. yeah right. I'm yeah, not yeah, criticizing. Yeah. I'm not saying he had no associations. It's But, you know, I'm just saying in the movie... Well, that's my point, is I think Nolan...
1: Gives him the benefit of the doubt at every turn that he was 100% patriotic. And I'm just not sure in reality that he never let anything slip. (sighs) These movies
0: are so weird about (sighs) communism, particularly the Sorkin ones. And that's why I compared it to Sorkin. It has its cake and eat it too. That Emily Blunt scene being the most obvious example Mm of, I'm not a communist,
1: but also if I was, would it be that bad? Yeah, yeah. You know, pick a fucking side. Yeah, I think it was... Like I said, I think they gave Oppenheimer the benefit of the doubt that he never would have let state secrets slide. And they show that scene where he's sitting naked uh, with her and she's like, well, tell me what you've been up to. And he's like, I can't. I'm like, really? I don't think he probably would have said, what? You know,
2: working on this little thing called. They're, well, they, Florence Pugh is sitting naked in front of you. You would have told I, her whatever I, you want. Yeah. Well, I'm right. not right. Like, <laughs> for, for the record, I'm not even talking about the movie. I'm talking about like the history here. And like, there's a lot of conflicting accounts on on how much Oppenheimer would have let slide how patriotic he is. There's some that firmly believe that this he was never going to let anything like this go, and that he was he didn't give a shit about communism. It was more like a passing fancy. Which is, I guess, the most widely believed theory, but you're right in that, like, it could have it could have mixed it up a little bit more. Nolan doesn't even leave the viewer any doubt. Yeah.
1: Like, I would have liked to leave this movie going, maybe he did leak something. But, like, Nolan is like, no, he was patriotic. Like, and I'm kind of like, you know, back off a little. Yeah, 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 yeah. I care. But most of those criticisms really were in the front half of the movie.
2: Uh-huh. And I kind of got over it. <laughs> frankly i i mean i i sort of agree with you with, with, with a lot of those points too but to be honest like all all of those criticisms kind of instantly melt away the the next scene i'm with killian murphy which we haven't gotten to yet because my god
1: oh yeah we haven't talked about killian murphy your boy nick <laughs> no i mean he's been begging nolan to let
2: him star in a fi- like really star in a film it's the movie for me guys it is the movie it is a fucking brilliant your boy brought the <laughs> fucking heat my guy that irish son of a bitch <laughs> he is such a
1: good actor and he's always been put in the back seat it feels like and he looks so much like oppenheimer yeah. like already the accent is good very good yeah if margot robbie
2: is made to be barbie this guy was made to be oppenheimer that's 100 right. i thought this I, this defines his career he's been acting for ages now but this is the movie that that will forever define his career he is and i'm glad the best performance of the year. It's going to be hard to top. I have a hard time believing that anything beats
0: this. Yeah. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons why I think it's Nolan's best. Obviously like Heath Ledger won the Oscar for dark Knight. He's not the main character in that, but he hasn't made a biopic yet. And so he hasn't really been given this weighty of a character, this meaty of a, of a character to play with. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, he gets the best performance, the best character in a Nolan movie. And that's because the movie is generous with him. Yeah. And allows him to bear the weight of the e- world everything. on his shoulders. <laughs> in every scene and yep. you feel it you and, see it too you know he plays the selfish notes he plays the dick bag notes he plays the pathos um he plays
2: the rock star when he has to which is interesting exactly I, I actually wish there was more of that yeah i do
1: too i don't you wish there was a little bit more of like oppenheimer being this like sex appeal womanizer like right they they imply it
0: well, there's that scene where he's he's lifted onto everyone's shoulders when the bomb goes off, and it sort of hints at, like, oh, yeah, this guy's on the cover of Time magazine. He's a rock star. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: You know, it doesn't really linger on that too much because they move right onto the grief.
1: I mean, it is nice when he's like, uh, so you're going to take the job at the most prestigious university? That's why I'm considering it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 I just love Oh, the love scene
0: love where, the where his buddy there... Tells him, "Don't wear that uniform. You're a scientist." Mm-hmm. And like a fucking like Batman going to the
2: Batcave, he <laughs> puts so on bad. the hat and the and
0: puts the pipe in his I mouth. I thought the
2: exact same thing. He's putting on his uniform. It's yeah, just yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah. that's sick his costume. Right. That's man.
0: fucking sick. Yeah, that was great stuff. It's great awesome. Yeah, he's amazing. Downey is amazing. I gotta imagine that the two frontrunners for the Oscar will see what Killers of the Flower Moon looks like. But
2: the big thing for me is that, like, where in the past I I just didn't care that much for a lot of like Nolan characters and, and the performances they were giving. Like, I just kept thinking, like, can't you do a couple more takes of that? Like, it's fine, but it only feels like it's just doing the job. Whereas this was like just everyone was really good. Even like Matt Damon's really good in this too. It's okay. I, I really didn't love him. I, but I loved liked him. him. No, I really? loved him. I did. Yeah, he's he's my third favorite performance of the movie. That's a tough character.
1: No, you see him as a guy who's married to duty, but also does what's right where he can. I don't know.
2: The movie got better whenever he was on screen for me. I'm like, I kind of wanted to go, but go back to uh, Oppenheimer and Damon <laughs> to, together. Honestly, yeah,
0: he gets that line where it's like this is the most important thing that's ever happened in the history of the fucking world, and it's.
2: Yeah, a little overacting there, you can argue. I don't like that scene in the trailer either, to be honest with you. Yeah,
0: Yeah, he he definitely, right, he overacts, I think, more than any other character is asked to mm-hmm. because his character is a jackhammer, right? Yeah, like,
2: but, but his camaraderie with Oppenheimer is actually really infectious, and I just, yes. I just loved their back and forth, and it was just fun and delightful, and it, even in the courtroom scenes, I'm just like fuck yeah, man. I love you. It was, yeah. Right. I, I really needed that in this movie too. And it gave me more more than I was expecting Nolan to be capable of, to be honest with you. Uh, I thought Alden Ehrenreich was actually pretty good. He yeah. kind of That character is just not a
0: character that would exist in the real world. That was another kind of like sure. leap where there's no DC aid that after hearing testimony at a Senate <laughs> hearing... <laughs> would immediately turn on his boss. Like a guy like that is a spin doctor, you know?
1: I thought I thought Washington DC was full of upright individuals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Like
2: that's and he just like becomes, I don't know like if history Daniel has like, ever thought that. Talk about a Sorkin
0: character, right? Like that is yeah, right yeah. out of the Sorkin playbook, you know? Where he's like given giving Robert Downey the business there.
2: It, it, it's yes. such an audience avatar, totally. but, but his performance is good. I like Alden er- Rick a lot. I wish he popped up more. I just, I wish solo wasn't such a massive bomb and right. people would, you know, bring him into more stuff. He's good. Uh, I'm going through the IMDB here because obviously there's a huge fucking cast. Well,
1: I mean, there's one very, I want to talk about Gary Oldman. <laughs> Great. Oh, this is a good
2: scene. I hated this scene.
1: Oh really? Yeah,
2: it's a I fun did. scene.
1: I thought it was perfect based on the documentaries i've seen and what i've been told about the truman oppenheimer relationship and what was said and i thought it played out exactly how it how you played picture. out in real
2: life were you distracted by the gary oldman of it all i didn't think it was a great impression okay
0: also the scenes with the generals for me were a lot more effective at communicating the callousness of the american government
1: true sure. well but you got to remember that truman was not like truman was pulled out of fucking nowhere when he became vice president, essentially. And then he was suddenly thrust in the seat of the presidency at one of the most important moments in U.S. history. He was not like a career politician. Totally get it.
0: The scene kind of overplays its hand, though, with the get that crybaby out of my office. That's like, what he said to him. He really
1: said that. He's actually quoted as saying that to him. He really said that. Yeah, I guess I can't argue then. That's my point. Like, Oppenheimer told him he had blood in his hands. Uh-huh. Truman did not like that because Truman had enough guilt. And... That's how it went in real life. I'm arguing with history, so I can't. I can't argue with history. I guess. Why do but, you always argue with history? What's no, wrong I with history? No, I just history? think
2: like
0: the politics. <laughs> politics of this movie are kind of muddled, and like, yeah, I and, think like again, as I said before, the oppressive government figures making decisions based on where they vacation just hits way fucking harder than when like. Truman is mean to Oppenheimer in one meeting Well, here's, I, but I don't know maybe that's just a, a taste thing for
2: me. I don't know I liked it I, I thought it, it it does a great job at making Oppenheimer feel kind of stranded there's lots of scenes in movies where it's like when all is said and done at least we got the president to talk to and they, they go all the way up the chain and the president's like oh it's fine do your thing right. and I, I've seen that cliche happen a lot and, and with this movie being as patriotic as it sometimes is there's an element of like okay yeah Truman's gonna make everything kind of okay he's right. the man he's it, the it, man it, right it, well, you, and, and it's then, the Wizard of
0: Oz. Yeah. You get to the end of the yellow brick road and yeah. the monstrous world becomes even more monstrous once you get to the captain.
2: Yep. Yep. And, and that you, exactly. And then it's like, oh, yeah, this guy is really alone here. When, right. they, when even the president is like, yeah, here's an idea. Go fuck yourself. Get out of my office. Right. It's like, whoa. Okay. Right.
0: I liked it. How about Casey Affleck? Do you like that one, saying?
2: Creepy. I liked it a lot. He's awesome. And Nolan yeah, really.
0: plays it too. It's the one cameo that's played as a reveal.
2: Oh, this like Vesuvius little guy. Where they Ugh. film him
0: from behind and there's kind of this mysterious, wait a minute, who's playing this character? But it's, it? yeah, yeah. it, it, it's weird. Like you would think maybe Gary Oldman would be filmed that way. You might think Matt Damon is filmed that way. And none of their entrances have the fanfare that Casey Affleck does. But Nolan knows how to play the notes. He's like, oh, I know what kind of performance I have here. So I'm going to shoot him from behind.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And let you sit with the anxiety of the interrogation.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, that's Nolan. Actually, it doesn't really matter what actor is playing that role. He knows what the role demands. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It could have been anyone in that seat. It doesn't matter. I, mean, I prefer that than being like, oh, well, we you know, we're paying fucking Gary Oldman so much money to be in this movie. We got to build it up like. Right.
2: You know what I mean? Yeah, like, right, right. exactly. Yes, exactly right. I, exactly. Right. I do yes. love that that even essentially the extras are stars in the movie. That's always really fun to see. Like, like, yeah. he's not really an extra, but it's it's such a bit part. It doesn't really matter that much. Uh-huh. But it's like, I, I don't know. It just makes the whole th- piece feel a little more authentic to me. I really loved it. Uh, Josh Peck. Josh Peck's really good. Oh, Josh Peck. OK, so I I actually found for
1: some reason I found him incredibly distracting
0: well, you know what was distracting? When I was in the theater, Josh Peck shows up. There's this woman maybe in her mid-twenties sitting next to me, and she laughed every time he was on screen.
1: That I found distracting. Oh, no.
2: That I found
1: very, very distracting.
2: He's the one that pushes the button, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah,
1: yeah. There's this scene where they film over the crowd of scientists who are working there, and every single one of them looked like they belonged in ni- the 1940s, <laughs> Josh- and then Josh Peck was just there. <laughs> And it looked like he was filmed on a green screen, and they threw him in on top Meghan! of everybody. It's just, <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not trying sure to dock his performance or anything, because he was fine. But just for some reason, his face was so distracting in this movie. Well, he
0: does the face that he often does in Drake and Josh, which is kind of like the disturbed. You know, Megan just put a whoopee cushion full of mayonnaise on my chair. <laughs> you know, and it's like doesn't really
2: land the same way when you're, when you're flipping the switch on the Trinity test. We're not addressing something here, guys, because uh-huh. he's... I think he's fine in the movie, but he's not the best Josh in the film. This is one of my my favorite performances, surprisingly. <laughs> Little Josh Hartnett shows up. Hartnett, that's right! I was very fucking happy to see him, and he's actually quite good. As his buddy, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the other professor <laughs> that tells him you got to get all this politics out of the classroom. He's great. Of all the things about the movie, here's the thing. I'm watching it, and I'm like... Yeah, you know, I'm kind of vibing with this. I don't quite like this, don't quite like that, but it's mostly working. And then finally, when Josh Hartnett shows up, I'm like, maybe I do really like yeah. this movie because <laughs> Josh Hartnett is really working on me right now. <laughs> God, this cast rules.
0: This is a great cast. Dude, Dane DeHaan's in there for like five minutes. Did you watch Penny Dreadful, Adam?
2: I have not, no. He's a very prominent role in that. Hartnett's on Penny Dreadful. Supposedly, he's wonderful in it, yeah.
0: No kidding.
2: He's like pretty much the lead.
0: Interesting.
2: I, I, I love him whenever he shows up he's, he's, a, he's a very hyper underrated actor Matthew Modine is in this he's pretty good he's great in Mission Impossible as well uh, so he has my, a nice role in both my half brother Jack Quaid shows up which is very nice your half brother Jack Quaid oh I love yeah
0: Jack Kenneth Branagh as Niels Bohr I thought was a bit distracting that's the one you- where I like <laughs>
2: I hate Kenneth Branagh. Do, dude. so much. I, I will say he's easily the most distracting thing for me about He's him. so distracting. Oh fuck off. He's
0: I, so fucking distracting. When, when he's in Dunkirk, off. I'm
2: like, "Get get out of here. Get the fuck out. I don't like him in Dunkirk." At I kind of like him in Dunkirk. I love him in Tenet.
1: I will not tolerate this Kenneth Branagh hate.
0: Maken Blair is in this as Oppenheimer's lawyer. I love when he's in these movies. He's a, he's a pet favorite of ours.
2: That shithead in the Halloween movies. Uh what the hell? He plays Oppenheimer's brother. Oh yeah, that kid who gets his neck split by Michael Myers.
1: Yeah, he's,
0: he's actually pretty good, good in right. it too. Okay, yeah yeah yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I like that.
0: Um, let's see who else shows. Up? I think Benny Safdie has a nice little side gig as a character actor. Uh, he's he's
2: been pretty good in these movies. He ain't bad. I think. Uh, yeah, Nolan. Who did no, Nolan called someone up specifically? It's like, I'm thinking about Benny Safdie, but should I actually cast him? I don't, I don't really know. And then sure enough, he did, he did the reading and he was like, perfect. He, he was just in, are you there
0: God? It's me, Margaret. He Mm. uh, was in stars at noon, the Claire Denis movie last year, licorice pizza. He's really good. And I, I think he's good. It was Paul Thomas Anderson. That's who he called up. There you go. Well, there you go. There's your connection. Uh, Rami Malek. Annoying. Yeah.
1: I kind of agree annoying mm-hmm. you know what is with what is with like our hard turn on rami Malik? like i was so into him for i robot and everything else he's in he's Not, awful uh, mr robot yeah <laughs> i robot. Or, what i robot I mr robot, robot yeah, you know what I mean. yeah, yeah, yeah. um i was so into him for that and now it's just like get out of here
2: it was bohemian rhapsody dude it's just it just was it, it was like, this
0: academy award winning it, it, performance it was, it was yes bohemian that's rhapsody,
2: correct yeah.
1: yeah oh my god <laughs> how fucked up is that <laughs> yeah
2: no good Um, can I talk about my personal least favorite thing about this movie might be really controversial. All right. You're about to do like a comic book guy thing with the atomic bomb explosion, right? Yes, but that's not my least favorite thing about the movie. Okay. What's your least favorite thing in the movie? Worst bomb ever. No, (laughs) uh, (laughs) it was, (laughs) that's right. Uh, I was not a fan of the music oh I th- thought the movie is a whole two points better for me personally if you play the overwhelming majority of these scenes silent I was very distracted and oh. not in it uh, I was like it's fine I'm just emotionally I'm not quite there because for some reason you got this fucking thriller music over it and I, I don't know. I don't know.
0: Ludwig or Hansen?
2: Yeah. Doing another fine Hansen or impersonation. <laughs> but I could not stand... I gotta be honest, could not stand the music. would you have preferred yeah. if Hans came back for this one? He was too busy doing a movie about sand. That's so, right. That's right. Uh, so, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't blame him because sand movies are very important to me. That's
1: right. I get what you mean, Adam, but do you know how mad I would have been? I would have been like, this movie so fucking pretentious for not having any music. Like... I would have just been...
2: I'm not saying no music. <laughs> I'm just saying, play more of these scenes. You know, they overplayed their hand? Yeah, 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 yeah. Play more of these scenes silent, please. Like, you could have music, absolutely. And I, I expect that out of a Nolan movie. But, like, there are just sequences where it's just guys sitting in a room, like, drawing on a chalkboard. And there's this fucking awesome music playing. And I'm like, no. <laughs> no, just talk to me. It's fine. You're not losing my attention here. I'm not that stupid. I want to know what... The actual video software, what that it looks like in a
1: Nolan film, all of the edits, yeah, all yeah, of yeah. the layers, right? It's gotta be fucking crazy. We
0: should mention this is the most ambitious sounding movie he's ever done. There's no question about that. Like the sound, you saw it in IMAX, awesome. right, Nick?
1: Of course. Yeah. Okay. I the mean, room shook. It's crazy. Yes. It's fucking wild. I mean. You do feel it. People were literally falling out of their seats. <laughs> they were getting blown off off. back it into was... the
2: popcorn <laughs> behind them.
1: <laughs> the guy in the AMC little uh, uh, title card
0: before
2: the movie starts
0: threw the popcorn all over himself many times. In the the movie.
2: theater literally blew up and they had to reconstruct it after, <laughs> after the Trinity test scene. <laughs> That's right. It was crazy, dude. Um, it does still suffer from the dialogue mixing. Like sometimes it's... A little hard to hear. I dug it. Nobody it. notices that shit. I do. Just you. <laughs> Just you. I agree
0: with you on Tenet. I don't agree with you here. Eh, it's Maybe a, it's because I was listening to it in IMAX, and it's like, the same. It's the same uh, problem. He
2: needs to not do that again. Okay. Um, yeah, the Trinity test scene. So fuck me, dude. Maybe it is my least favorite thing about the movie. Because <laughs> uh, I thought it sucked balls, guys. I thought it was fucking terrible. I think the buildup is excellent. Very good buildup, uh-huh. and. It's like, ooh, here we go, here we go, here we go. This is great. I love the music. I love I love the inner cutting back and forth really fast. And then finally, when it goes silent, beautiful. Um, but then, Visually, it just looked, you know what it reminded me of? Was uh, the scene in, this is Spinal Tap, to where the Stonehenge comes down. And there's just this little thing. Oh. And I'm like... Huh? <laughs> it was the biggest wet blanket gas explosion I've ever seen in my life. I feel like I've seen bigger explosions like that at a fireworks display. It was just terrible. I'm just going to be honest. I did not like it at all one little bit. It doesn't look like a fucking nuke. And it's one of those instances where like, I know you're trying to do it practically, but I can tell you're trying to do it fucking practically. It's yeah. blatantly obvious. You would have preferred a CGI explosion. Yes.
1: Wow. I don't think I cared, because at that point in the movie, I was... I was not somebody who was ever looking forward to or caring about the explosion, like a lot of people were. The explosion in that scene was more about, like, painting the emotional place that everybody was in. Right. An impression. Yes. With fire with fire and sound. And I thought it was very effective. And earlier, when, when they show Oppenheimer dreaming of quantum physics, and they show these close-ups and like, particles floating and shit, they put that into the bomb as well to be like this is the culmination of it i don't know I, I i feel like if they had just done a um cgi nuke it would have just been
2: a all right three two one I and mean, the scene's over there are you know? miniature sequences where it's clear the way he probably did it was like film something on more of like a microscopic level but you get that initial fireball or in, like it, it's really 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 hot thing in the in the air and it hits the ground and the the fucking dirt goes up there's a little tendril as it goes down the cable little stuff like that and it's it's amazing. And I'm like god, I can't wait to see what the trinity scene looks like when they're we're doing that cuz that felt immense and it felt unbelievable. It felt strange and terrifying. And I just got nothing. It was it was one of the most disappointing moments I've ever experienced in a theater, to be perfectly honest with you. Well, the, the, the thing is, too, back to my point about it being impression, it, it checks the boxes. You know, you get the flash. It's, it goes silent as it should. It takes a while for the blast wave to actually hit them, or the shock wave, rather. And, you know, it's, it's very bright. It mushrooms. You know, it's, it is a drawing of a nuke going off, but it didn't feel like a nuke. It was just kind of a, a boom, and that was that. Alright. I should be frightened by this and I felt absolutely nothing towards it. Do you really think frightened was what he was going for in that scene? Because I don't. I think it was astonishment. It has to be a combination of like frightened or strange. At the very least like make it feel like something I've never seen before because that's the, the mode the characters are in. I have to I have to look like I have witnessed a UFO like like you were describing in Asteroid City and I just didn't get that at all. It just looked like a gas explosion. Right. It's just like... Bl- Okay. Right. I don't know. I don't I don't feel that way about it. But I haven't watched a lot of like explosion videos. Maybe I need to look at them more. You don't have to be the level of like fucked up horrifying that David Lynch does in The Return. That is just the scariest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, that's like on another plane. You don't have existence. to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But they, they I think that they they try to illustrate What Oppenheimer was feeling at the time, I don't think he was scared of the bomb at the time. He wasn't scared of the bomb until after it was used. Right. Yeah. Right. It was. It was a. We did do do that. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Right. Yeah. This was a triumphant moment. It's like we finally fucking did it.
2: But everyone was conflicted on it. Even when he did, he was like, "Uh uh, oh." No, there's different levels of that. Every character is feeling, but it's complicated. But there's a tremendous amount of feelings going on, and it's frustrating when I didn't feel any of them. Okay. Totally get it. Nolan
1: did decomplicate the emotional feelings of that moment compared to history yes
0: okay fair enough I can agree with that fair enough but as you said before it is an impression Mm -hmm. and that is one final thing I want to say about this movie unless you guys have more notes but as we're kind of winding down here it is by far and away the most impressionistic movie Nolan has ever made absolutely and it's not even fucking close I mean he is not a guy that is known for impressionism in his films like there's the Qui-Gon Jinn ghost in fucking Dark Knight Rises (laughs) you know that shows up to talk to Luke in the fucking Tatooine cave. It's a great
2: scene, Nico.
0: <laughs> but, like, that's as fantastical and impressionistic as Nolan ever gets. You know, there's parts of Interstellar that are kind of like that, but not really. It's mostly objective, even if his plots are science fiction. Um, this movie does some incredible stuff in Oppenheimer's point of view. We talked about the scene with the adoring crowd that showers him with applause as he sees the nuke going off and the decomposing bodies beneath him. Uh, the sex scene. During, I mean, yeah, the yeah. sex scenes in this, I think, are fucking, really fucking good. They live up to the hype. Um, they're
2: very controversial. They're not They're not universally praised at all, dude. Totally get it, <laughs> which is how I like them. Yeah.
0: But, the, yeah, the scene where Emily Blunt is
1: envisioning Florence Pugh having sex in the uh, hearing. It's funny. <laughs> I loved also just that that shot of he's sitting in the hearing, and then they pan the camera, and a guy is sitting in the way, and when he comes on the other side, he's naked, that sitting great. there, and he's like... He's on trial. Love that. right. And so we go we go a transition from reality to how he feels. And then while he's naked, we then transition to how she feels. Right. Which <laughs> is the girl on top of him. It's it's I mean, that's extraordinary.
0: Nolan just never tries this. He never fucking experiments with this ever, and watching it here. With all of his tricks and all of his style intact, yep. seeing him go there to me was just like, "Oh my God, we're hitting a new level."
2: Here yeah, it's 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 one of those instances where it's like a lot of the Nolanisms, the trappings and conventions he loves so much, settled very nicely into this story. Like that scene with the, the him being naked too. Like again, a very on the nose idea. I'm naked in front of a jury, but right. it feels so Mwah, chef's kiss, just so right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um
0: god i love this movie guys
2: by the way have i noted that i haven't liked a nolan film in 13 years <laughs> i know <and laughs> so welcome this, back to so the it's, team it's my nice friend. to be able to say i actually enjoyed a nolan movie, i've warmed
1: yeah. your seat up man <laughs> he did his typical nolan sound bullshit which i love which is <laughs> yeah. the entire movie is interspliced with sounds that he uses at certain points in the movie yeah
0: and also images too yeah
1: yeah, so, like, the people stomping when they're celebrating Oppenheimer great, great, after the bomb, great idea. that stomping is used, so, and in an IMAX, goddamn, is mm. it? Does it work? Yep. Oh,
0: this movie's so
1: impeccably edited, it's so
0: fucking There dope, are dude. some
1: little moments, this is a guess, I don't have any evidence of this, but there's some moments where you can sort of hear what sounds like it could be a Geiger counter. Yeah, I'm sure that was in there, yeah. Maybe, yeah, I would think. Well, I'm convinced it's actually the sound of them dropping the marbles into the... Uh, ah. Into the jar... And interspliced into the background. Oh, that's a good call. I mean, it's just that Nolan sound shit is just unbelievable, as always. Yeah.
0: There, did you guys notice that scene? Obviously, they play the Florence Pugh suicide a couple different ways before they explicitly say that she killed herself. Did you guys notice the black gloves? Yep. I was like, ooh, Jalo July. Here we go again.
2: <laughs> Kinda.
0: Yeah. Yeah, kind of like Killian or Oppenheimer... Um, the, the guilt that he has, like literally I killed this person.
2: Well, no, no. I mean, you, you can read it that way, that's but how I read it. Well, you, no, you, you certainly can, but there is a theory that she was killed. Oh, interesting. Like murdered. Yeah. For her communist ties. That's, that's a, I, I, I guess it's a conspiracy, but because of the nature of her suicide, it has led people to be like, why would you ever kill yourself that way? Right. It's such a strange Face way down to, in a bathtub. It doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But she also, she's always a crazy weirdo. Yeah. This
0: conversation was really fun because you guys made me love the movie more. Aww. And I love when that happens. Yeah. I love it. It's, it's good. It's a good movie. Yeah. it's,
2: it's not. Well, gr- I'll, gi- I'll give it some time. Let me I let me
0: give it some time. Let me sit with it a bit. I I again, the hot take is just it's in the oven. It's not quite ready yeah, yet. It's coming out soon.
2: I think it's good. I don't think it's great. Um, but me saying it's good should be more than enough considering my very checkered past with Christopher Nolan. <laughs> so please be happy. It's been a minute since I've liked a movie this much. Yeah, I'm not really gonna remember. This as an IMAX experience, to be honest with you it's it's fine like i it's it's ambitious that the imax is used exclusively for killian murphy's face great use of the format the opening fire with the prometheus quote was
1: enough for me to be like <laughs> i'm glad i saw this in imax literally the first five seconds have you ever seconds. seen a sicker opening title card than that yeah that was great yeah that was sick that was enough like if if the rest of the movie was not an imax i would have been glad i saw at least that because that just like set the fucking tone it does a great job yes i agree i agree yeah, I I kind of think
0: although it is a dialogue heavy thing, yeah, it it's a big screen movie. I think you have to see this on the big screen for the first time.
1: Yeah, I might disagree with that a little bit, but it it kind of felt like Nolan was going to extra lengths to vindicate Oppenheimer. Well, yeah, I I you know we we've, we've
2: kind of touched upon that too. With he lets him off the hook a little bit for sure.
1: I don't I don't understand what about Nolan was like. This man deserves vindication. He relates to the guy. He
2: loves he does! Oppenheimer. It's Oppenheimer's boy. <laughs> no like it's a stretch you're gonna compare oppie to fucking chris
0: nolan but <laughs> is making the bomb and making inception that
2: much different i don't know the answer is yes they're very different <laughs> but
0: he thinks it though i know nolan yeah. fucking thinks it about himself yeah. you know i know he looks at these movies and it's like man i made the dark knight trilogy what have i wrought upon the world you know i know he's thinking about that shit
1: he's looking at the mcu like it's an arms race
0: yeah there's there's not a fucking ounce of self-awareness in that guy's body you know what i mean uh and god bless him for it you know he's pushing the medium forward this is
2: really he was what he was doing too he's he's making up for his atom bomb movie at the end of dark Knight rises he's like i need to i need to vindicate myself that's a great call (laughs) that's so true that was bullshit
0: (laughs) yeah dude There we go. That's movies for you. There's summer 2023 in a nutshell. Get out to the movie theater, I think is what we're trying to say, right? Let's all go to the movies. Yeah. Yeah. I'm having a good time this summer. It was bleak
1: for a while, I'll be honest. I mean this in the nicest way, Adam, but you're kind of a loser if you didn't
2: love this movie. <laughs> no, I guess so. Yeah, well, hey, I agree with you. I'm, I'm that one guy in the, in the crowd. Everyone's like, we fucking loved it. Why did we bring this guy around? That's how Nick and I were we after It's Like, it who so brought much. this guy? And I'm like, it was okay. It was good. <laughs> You're a loser. You're a loser if you didn't like Barbie too, I guess, because uh, <laughs> these are the most important movies of, of all time. They kind of are, though. You <laughs> know what way, I mean? Like the weight of way the
0: world is on their shoulders. At least the weight of the industry is on their shoulders. You know, like, and they
2: succeeded too. That's important. They, they did. did. They
0: delivered. Yeah. No question. Like,
2: it, and it is very
0: important. We can all agree, even if we didn't like the movies, it is very important that Greta Gerwig and Christopher Nolan succeed at making movies because there's not many other people that have the opportunity to make movies like this. Yes. So it it works well for everyone if these movies do well and they are doing well no question thank you Nolan
2: and Greta there you go thank you love you guys All right, we're done right? I think so okay now let me seriously talk about 80 for Brady (laughs) (laughs) we'll see you in a couple weeks when we talk about something on this pod I don't know what it is (laughs) sweet
0: bye bye